Hello and welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. What's up? What's going on, people? We're back after a week off. Nice and refreshed. Yeah. How do you guys feel about the week off? You think I feel them? like it's a great thing. It's a good thing for us, right? Yeah, it's definitely Not so much for the listener. Not so much. Um, they say consistency is one of the biggest keys to success in podcasting. Your fan base knowing this day there's going to be a new episode. They look forward to it. I can, I'm like well, that with some podcasts where I'm well, like, they don't put week. an episode. It's easy. I understand. But if they don't put an episode up on the day they're supposed to, I do get upset. I'm like, do you? Yeah, I, I get it. I mean, but are you going to stop listening? I get listening? it, but you guys are now used to us. Every other week, you get a free episode. You yeah, know? And if you're it, a Patreon, is, then you get that one in between as well. To be fair, it is consistent. Yeah. Yeah, it's consistently inconsistent. No, it's it's every other week. <laughs> I know, I'm just saying. It's not consistent Actually, weekly. Actually, in it's... May, we may be having two weeks. No, it's... <laughs> Probably. Yeah, maybe. Because my parents are coming in town, so. Yeah. That should be fun. I mean, you know, we got lives. What do you got to do? What do you, what, do you what, what do you want from us, people? What do you want? <laughs> They're like, more episodes, you idiots. Right? <laughs> it's pretty fucking obvious. Duh. Get on the microphones and record. It's not that hard. <laughs> right? Just get on there and talk. We like, are some lazy fuckers. How hard is it to get on here for an hour a week? As busy as our lives are, it doesn't matter. It's no excuse. <laughs> no, it's it's more hours, though. It's for our sanity, people. It Sometimes is. we just want to enjoy our sanity. weekend and not have to do something. You're we already not, have how, to do enough shit. How, it's definitely more than an hour a week, dude. Oh, for sure. It's in a whole day event. Dude, our episodes are a minimum an hour and 40 minutes now. And it takes whichever one happens to be driving to the other one. Like I drove here today, two hours, two hour drive to get two here. Two hours. So two hours. And then the, an hour add in the two hours process of recording. Yep. Then another two hours to get home. It's a long day. Yeah. And editing. After. Are you not entertained? Are you? <laughs> are you bitching? Are we bitching? We done nothing. We're bitching, bitching on about podcasts. We are We're really bitching on about some podcasts. first world shit right yeah, here. Yeah, this is. We should just do. Life is so hard, we guys. Ah, <laughs> uh, so this week we are doing an episode that you guys have been requesting Heavily at nauseum. We're so tired of you guys requesting it that yeah. we're just gonna be like. That's the Fine, only reason we'll we did it. it. We're just like, you know what? Fuck, just do just it to then. shut all you up. Yeah. We're finally going to do <laughs> Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. Yeah. The Ken and Barbie killers. The Ken and Barbie killers in Canada. Surrey. Surrey, I killed you. <laughs> 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 they throw them in the back of their pink Corvette. Surrey. Drive away. Yeah. It's a fucked up case, dude. It is. Like, it was depressing. There's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of... Underage girls. Moral yeah, dilemmas mean, in this it, one, it, for sure. If you you need a disclaimer to listen to a true crime podcast, here's your disclaimer. I don't know why you're here in the first place. Yeah, what are you doing here? You know there's going to be some gruesome shit. It's a true crime podcast. But just in case you need it, this it's going to be pretty bad. We just give random disclaimers. There's some, uh, you know that? There's some rape and moita in this one. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Quite a bit. Yeah. A little bit know, of borderline, a... borderline torture as well. Um. Yeah, At there's least, not proof of it, but it's highly implied, right? Yeah, I mean, not maybe not physical torture, but like what they would do oh, to well, some of these girls to keep them locked in the closet torture. and stuff like it's fucked up. Definitely, but I think there was some physical torture going on too. Yeah, yeah, there's some sadism going on here, for sure. This is one of those pairings that these two people should have never met. No, they shouldn't have or oh, been born man. really. It'd be it better me of uh, remind me a lot of Alvin and Judith Neely. Yes, yeah, just fed remember off them? of each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's dive into it. All right, let's do it. The psychopath will use his ability to, to fool you as proof of his own grandiose, grandiose omnipotence, omniscience, and narcissism. Did you kill Elizabeth Payne on June the 19th, 1990? Anyways, I know I'm giving you guys a hard time about certain things, but I mean, really, I'm a human being, and when you guys do all these things, I, I've got to, you know, so I'll try and 
truncated a little bit more. But anyways, the answer to that is no, but. He gives the cops hell, he gives the lawyers hell, he protests his innocence, he basically tells them that they're rude and untrustworthy. The 800 pound gorilla in the room is, that's a life 25 sentence, you know. It really comes down to credibility, right. and, and not only credibility, but then again, timeline. I mean, between what Carlos and my roles were, respectively, and this and that. The answer is no to that question. You know, like they say, what's a sex offender? Always a sex offender. The proclivity to be polite in a conversation is very strong. And if you're polite, you don't object to the way that the person unfolds their strategy. Did you have anything to do with her disappearance? No. D did you know Elizabeth B? I didn't follow this question. Um, the date, obviously, June the 19th, 1990. Was but, 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 you know, other, other than that, I don't remember. You know, maybe I remember this one, but I remember in jail, I had newspapers after that fact. And then when they answer, he looks at his fingernails, which is like, that's a lovely little manipulative thing, because it basically means, whatever happens to be under my fingernail at the moment is much higher priority than listening to your foolish story. And you watch, you'll see people do that to you. And then you get a little insight into what they're up to. He's very good at that. So, Paul Bernardo and Carla Molka were a couple in the Toronto, Canada area that kidnapped, raped, and murdered several girls. I feel like I should have some light piano going on right now with the way you're phrasing this. It's you got, dark. It's, you, can, you got it, real dark on me. It's dark, man. It's you're dark. almost as dark as the narrator of the book we used. Yeah, so the book we used for this. Super Good segue, dark. Michael. Why was she... <laughs> Why? Why was she talking like that? She, I didn't see. She I don't think she. Like I don't think she. Movie. The narrator. I don't think she was dark. I think she was almost too sultry. It was creepy. Like her voice was a little bit. Like it sounded like she was reading a romantic novel. Like I was. I disagree. I think she was trying dude, to be. Dude, so intense. should we play a second of her voice? Play a I, second I, of it. Her voice could not have been more sultry, Michael. This is like she oh, should have. She should like be in like the softcore porn business. Well, I, she could definitely do that. Listen to her. Okay, but like that, I put it on normal speed. But that obviously wasn't her intention. All right, let's let's let you let's let the listener decide. Is right. this dark? Too oh, dark and ominous? Minute. Wait a minute, you're on normal speed. I listen to like one point three. No, times. I just put it on normal for the listener. Oh, it's gonna I was sound on one sultry. And a half. You were on three times. No, one point three. Oh, okay, there's no one point three. One point yes, five. There is. There's no. one point two five and one point five. Bro, I can listen on one point three. Michael's got some. I got Android. He's got some bro. loopholes. <laughs> All right. So, is this dark and ominous, or is this sultry? You guys decide. Let's listen. Content. Others, such as a young girl identified in court documents only as Jane Doe, were quite obviously unconscious. That's fucking sultry. Still, wait, let it go. When officers viewed the tape, they had no idea at first who the victim was. And then she pulled no, his pants the, down. Had no idea who the victim was. <laughs> She's just like. He slid his hand it's... up her thigh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's it. Well, now that I'm thinking about it like that, <laughs> you know, you, you gave me preconceived notions of it, right? Uh, yeah, I was I, I, the narrator. I didn't care too much for it. Was, it was a little much. But the book, action packed. It was like book, a Jack Rosewood. It, I was gonna say very much like a Jack Rosewood book. Just the details you need, pretty yep. much. Not a whole lot of filler. Mm -mm. All killer, no filler. That's right. Which did an episode on this, right? Great you podcast. To them? I did. I love those ladies. Yep. I laughed out loud quite a few times. Over in England? I lulled. Yes, funny girls. All right, so 
Should we get, dive into the beginning of the story here? Uh, that's get usually to, where we start. Okay, and then we'll get to them meeting and each other. Then we'll other do like the middle. Yeah. And then we'll do like the, the whole conclusion and stuff. And then we'll probably do some shout outs and, and bullshit. Then, <laughs> and <laughs> you'll then. Say one more time. <laughs> <laughs> and then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Paul Kenneth Bernardo was born August 27th, 1964. As far as parents go, Paul did not have the best example growing up. His father, Kenneth, fondled a girl and was charged with child molestation in 1975. He also sexually abused his daughter, which would be Paul's uh, Paul's sister. Right. And as far as Paul knew, this was his, his real dad, and right. he didn't find out until he was like 16. I feel like you're insinuating it was not his real dad, Lauren. When he was 16, he found out through his mother telling him that basically uh, this is his stepdad because she yeah. had an adulterous relationship. The book described this situation as um, it was like an argument between them. They were getting to where they were arguing and fighting a lot. And then she just and dropped she that just bomb like, on him. Why would you do that? That's like the worst time to do it. I've always said, dude, if you want to have like a long-lasting, meaningful relationship with a family member or your spouse, like yeah. you can't, you can never get to the point where you start being going personal on yes. them, personal attacks, you can't name have calling. This, yeah, you can't have this keep it civil. atom bomb behind your back that you're waiting to toss at them yeah. in the most angry of moments that's like the worst thing you could possibly because people will never forget it man They'll you gotta never surrender you those it. bombs bro yeah in a calm <clears throat> way yeah paul's mother depressed about her husband's abuse withdrew from family life and lived in the basement of their home in scarborough in eastern Metro- metropolitan toronto so basically they were left with this stepdad and he on a nightly basis would take his stepdaughter into her room and so what's the mom's deal here, man? What do you think? You think she just can't deal with the situation? What's going on? How she's lost control of the household or whatever? Yeah, I think Cause so. Because she she's got to know what's going on with her daughter and her husband. Yep. And I, I just think she didn't really want to have it out with him, and she just probably was sick about it and, yeah. and just kind of was probably um, really uh, disappointed in herself for allowing this to happen, and now it's already been going on and – Rather than stopping it now because it's already too late, just kind of like reserve to go into the basement and pretend like it's pretend not like it's not going on. Yeah. yeah. When he was young, Paul was always happy. He was a cute kid with dimples who smiled a lot. He appeared to be the perfect child, polite, well mannered, doing well in school, and a Boy Scout. Beneath the charming facade, however, Bernardo had developed dark sexual fantasies and enjoyed humiliating women in public and beating the women that he dated. Not a good sign. And this was very close to when. He found out that he was not his. Do you think it might have been right after? Or this before? Is all, this as far as the right timeline, after, it sounds think, like right. it was right before. Cause right before? Says, yeah, it says when Bernardo was 16, his mother told him that he was conceived legit, illegitimately during an extramarital affair. Yeah. Disgusted, disgusted he began openly insulting her. And that's about so the time he might have already been on that path. Stuff. I'm sure that he picked up a lot of bad qualities as far as treatment of women from his stepdad growing up. Right. You know what I mean? This well before he even found out that it wasn't his real dad. This is definitely a nurture argument here. Right. Because he was just, he was very similar to him. Yeah. But he took it a step further. But well, you got to assume the way this be... guy's, the way that the mother's living in the basement and that this dude's on a regular basis molesting his daughter, his stepdaughter. Yeah. That he's, this is his overall behavior towards women all through. Paul's childhood was probably horrific. You know, I mean, Paul didn't know any different because that's the way he was raised. Like people that are raised, like if you're an abusive person towards animals and you raise a kid that way from the time they're little, I'm sure they're going to be abusive towards animals. Right. It's what they know. Yeah. That's a good point. You you know, your your kids at one, two, three, four, five years old, you just see 
this kid sees you kicking dogs and doing all kinds of shit, beating beating so whatever. So Paul probably, you have. yeah, Paul probably he knew he saw this stuff and probably you know wanted to Mimicked stop it. it. But I mean, he probably wanted to stop it growing up mm-hmm. or whatever. And then I think the transition happened when he lost respect for his mom. Mm-hmm. When he found out that yeah. his mom had cheated on his dad or whatever, and he was illegitimate, and I think that's where he he went off the rails and he was like, fine. He's like, I'm going to be like him. Like might he have was con- the, it might've confirmed what his stepdad had taught him about it. Like women right. are no good. And type he of may thing. have even gained some respect for his stepdad because his mm-hmm. stepdad still took care of him knowing that he wasn't his, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And he didn't, as far as we know, he didn't abuse Paul, right? He didn't no. touch Paul. As far as we know, he didn't. Yeah. So, yeah. Bernardo attended Sir Wilfrid Laurier Collegiate Institute in Scarborough and then went to University of Toronto of Scarborough in 1982. Graduated. After graduation, he worked for Amway, whose pushy sales culture deeply affected him. Quote, he brought the books and tapes of famous motivational get-rich-and-famous experts. So he's, It's an old pyramid scheme. Yeah. I had members of my family that were in Amway. Oh, really? I tried to get my parents to join. I remember that as a kid. You know, they come over and they bring dinner. It's like we haven't seen you in like three years. What are you doing here? <laughs> Get the fuck yeah, out then, of here! And then just why are you wearing a polo shirt midway tucked th- in the khaki? Midway through this? the meal, so I got a business proposition yeah, for you guys. Listen, this guys. is only because I really care about you. I want right. to let you in on this. <laughs> you know, like I don't offer this to everyone. This is how good this is. Like, this this is... sounds like a pyramid scheme. That's what they told you. That's what they said you would say. Listen, it's not. It's not a pyramid scheme. But what at all. really it's... I'm looking for is to just be one layer above you in this pyramid scheme, right. and then you'll be one layer above someone else, and then they'll be one layer yeah, above someone else. Right. And we have a fantastic product that we're revealing in January. It's going to be great. <laughs> Sounds like those people that haven't started a podcast yet, but they keep telling you, in May, we're going to start this podcast. It's going to be amazing. Go rate Watch it now. For episode you one. haven't listened yet, but go, go. rate it five Listen stars. Listen how good the quality of this commercial is. <laughs> <laughs> Just do the podcast and then right. start advertising it, please. <clears throat> Bernardo and his friends practiced pickup techniques on young women they met in bars um, and were fairly successful. Well, he's a good-looking dude as well. That's part of what makes this story fascinating oh. to people is that him and Carla, who he's going to meet soon, um, they were like this picturesque couple. They were both young and attractive. And, and they're smart, too. And smart. All was smart. Yeah. Like, you hear the interviews and stuff. Like, he's uh, he's got quite the vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And so let's get to the fateful day where they met each other, which was oh, the, the exact day that I was born, which creeped me the fuck what? out. What? On October 17th, 1987, the day that exact I came into this world, day. Paul met Carla Homolka. And they were sexually attracted to each other almost wow. immediately. He walked into a bar. She was sitting with some friends. And the book described this moment where it was like she was looking around and all these guys were looking at her. And she's like, no way. And then she looks over and then <laughs> there's Paul just gleaming. You're so right. <laughs> you know what? I've totally changed my opinion Paul on was her like, voice. That was totally sultry. Paul was right like there. Edward from from, from uh, the Twilight. Twilight series. He was like sparkling. He's sparkling as he walks into yeah. the, the bar. It's just this little <laughs> beam of sunlight came through the window and showed his sparkles. The damn vampire we sparkled. About, we talked about the cover of the book, how he looks like a vampire on the book, too. He fucking totally he does. He looks like a damn vampire he on the does. cover of that book. Uh, maybe he just looks like a vampire in general. Maybe it's not just the cover of the book. Yeah, it's true. Maybe it's more let's like see. more of a situation Paul. than you said. Bernardo. Let's, Bernardo. Let's, just, let's just look up Google image pictures. He's one of those guys You know what? No, I've seen different. documentaries and stuff, and he, he actually he just kind of looks like a dude. But that... <laughs> It's all, it's just on the cover of the book. It's the cover of the book made it all yeah. dramatic. Much as this book did. Like this meeting yeah. where she drops it. Supposedly, she, he walks in. She They spot each other. He starts walking towards her and she drops a napkin. Yeah. You remember that part? Yeah. She dropped the and napkin and like scooted it in it. with her leg and then reached over to show her cleavage. Yeah. 
I don't know if that actually happened like that. <laughs> oh, dude, he does. He's he's intense. He does look like a fucking vampire, even in normal dude. pictures. Like, make that black and white. He's a vampire. Kind of looks like Billy those sunken Corgan. In cheeks, the, the sunken in cheeks, like very um, prominent, like features. You know what I mean? Like, kind of like he pointy looks a nose, lot like pointy Billy chin. Corgan. Look at him bald. Go back. Go back one more right there. Oh, that's Billy Corgan for Billy sure. Billy Corgan right there. <laughs> Where's your guitar? <laughs> oh, my God. That, he looks like a vampire there. Yeah. It, the book said he had blonde hair, but in all these pictures, he has brown hair for sure. Oh, yeah. there it is. He bleached it for he a while. That's what it, it is. Man. Much like uh, Carla did as well, because she wanted that blonde hair her sister had. Yeah, they were her real sister envious was of that toe. stuff, man. Yeah. I don't know. That's strange. He could definitely play, look alike. He could definitely play a vampire in a movie, no problem. Definitely. What yeah. does he look like now? He's like 53 now. Yeah, he's old. Yeah. Hey. He was in his 20s. He missed his, he missed his opportunity. He missed his opportunity. Unlike the other women he knew, she encouraged his sadistic sexual behavior. Bernardo was openly very interested in the 1991 Brett Easton Ellis novel, American Psycho, and read it as his Bible. So, yeah, they started getting, they started going goth. Like, they were, she started uh, dressing in all black with the dark red lipstick and all that. Right. And, uh, yeah, she definitely fueled this fire for him. The book says that she was kind of always this way, where she was a selfish person who like rebellious, rebellious too. and dramatic and like to tension any way she could get it. Yeah. The, this book, like you said, seems to put a lot of blame on her as opposed to a lot oh, of other sources you look at. Yes. They re- the book kind of surprised me because I listened to I listened to a few podcasts on it to kind of get a basic concept. Mm-hmm. And then I listened to some of another book and it was very neutral. It was like mm-hmm. just facts. But this one, yeah, it made um, a lot of vitriol in her. It direction made Carla play book. a big role, a really big role. It, like it, it almost, almost seemed like her she was, a, um, she, she was controlling him through manipulation. Yes, like that's the way it, the book made it. And seem. that's, I think, that's part of why she wanted the blonde hair all the time. She wanted that bleach blonde hair because of the persona that went with the dumb blonde, and she could play ignorant. And mm-hmm. she realized that people would do things for her. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. She, yeah, the book made it sound like though she she bleached the hair blonde and played played dumb a lot of times. She worked at a uh, at a veterinarian office mm-hmm. and she would play dumb there and basically it would let people's guard down and that she would learn more about them that she could use against them. Yep. Yeah, but I mean, she would steal things. From that work. could also be conjecture. I don't know how much of that is based in fact, but the book it's it it used a lot of court transcripts and all that stuff. So I'm I'm sure that the writer of this book learned a lot about their personalities through the court, right? Through the trial. Well, there was it was kind of a closed to the public trial, more of a plea deal situation because they didn't want all the details getting out there. We'll get to that later. Yeah, but Carla, uh, let's let's start with uh, her birth and upbringing. She was born May fourth, nineteen seventy, in Ontario. Amoka seemed like a normal child, pretty popular and loved by everyone around her. She loved animals and worked at a vet's office. When she was 17, her passion for animals led her to a pet convention. Paul Bernardo, who was 23 at the time, attended the same convention. They met at that bar that night and mm-hmm. had sex almost immediately, discovering the their bar. shared passion. Yeah, right there on the fucking table in front of everyone. <laughs> That's the That's way the book fuck. made it, too. It was like pretty much. It was like they made eye contact and just started fucking each other. Yeah. Ridiculous. Uh, it, the, the book went into a little bit about her as a child, how there was one moment where she stopped two boys from torturing some sort of insect or animal, right? Yeah. And then it told another story, which completely conflicted that, where she took a friend's hamster and dropped it out the window, the second story. Yes. 
to and see what would to see do. what would happen, yeah. and then she dug up its body later to see its decomposition and yeah. stuff. Made her sound very dark. It did, and it also made her out to be a person who, whenever like even as a kid and a group of friends, mm-hmm. they all had to do what she wanted to do. It was always about Carla. Dude, there's always that friend, right? There is. There's that always dominant that one personality friend. that it's all about me and you yep. guys. Fuck you if you don't want to do what I want to do. Yeah, and they're not going to play with everybody else, and you're going to have an odd number. It's like, come on. Yeah. Fuck you, man. <laughs> <laughs> I might have been that kid. I was the only child. <laughs> if you don't remember that kid. I might still be that kid. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bernardo, whose sexual appetite was extremely perverse, asked Tomolka if she would be all right with him raping women. She said that she would. And she this kind of The book made it sound like she really got off on this idea. They... Yeah, not only was she okay seems with it, like, she was into it. Seems like they weren't really that into each other, except the fact that they were they were they found someone who had who was as dark as them. And That's like, a great point. No one else they could tell these dark secrets to. Oh, well, I don't know. I think Carla. Would be okay with I think them. Carla was attracted to Paul, and I think she did want to be with Paul. I think and initially Paul she happy. was. Yeah, but I don't think Paul was attracted to Carla. I think. He, but do you remember the part in the book where she she was joking with friends about his penis and stuff? Yeah. And, so I don't know, man. It's, it's it is weird. It seemed like they just very toxic, very codependent relationship. But they still needed. You're right. They still needed something else there for it to truly yeah, work. Yeah, I don't know if they liked each other as much as it was just like they were. There was the one person that understood their dark side, and they were able to. And they trust act each out other. their fantasies together. That's yeah. all it was. Like I don't think he was attracted to her after just maybe their first month together. I think that wasn't. He was not a one woman type of guy. He that's why he was. He was just yeah. a sick fuck that always wanted a new thrill, you know? And, like, of Absolutely. course, he was going to almost immediately get bored with her. It's like he almost wanted the resistance, too. He wanted to dominate something. He oh, didn't want He yeah. didn't want someone like Carla Cat, who's Consensual his... sex was not his thing. No. It had to and be Carla against And Carla would wait, wait on him hand and foot in that manner. And that just didn't it was useful for him. To him. didn't like it. It was useful to him. Yeah. Because it could help him acquire other women, mm-hmm. which you see with her sister. And, you know, Carla would actually help him set up other kidnappings and stuff later yeah so bernardo committed multiple sexual assaults escalating in viciousness in and around scarborough he attacked most of the victims after stalking as they got off buses late in the evening and became known as the scarborough rapist before they could figure out who this person was they knew there was a series of rapes going on in scarborough Mm -hmm. Um, and they actually started collecting dna evidence Um, but it was in the early stages and i guess they just weren't constantly testing because he became a, a suspect in these rapes and they actually he willingly gave up dna yeah but they didn't but test they it didn't for fucking like test it with the samples months or something like that yeah it was like two years before it was over finally... two years a little over two years yeah. crazy right like how do you not immediately match it with the you got a suspect you got his dna yep. i don't know maybe it was a lot harder to more expensive and time consuming in the early 90s to test this stuff <clears throat> Or, or the late 80s, for that matter. Right. May 4th, 1987, the rape of a 21-year-old Scarborough woman in front of her parents' house after Bernardo, uh, Bernard, Bernardo followed her home was one of the known incidents. And then on May 14th, 10 days later, the rape of a 19-year-old woman in the backyard of her parents' house. And then July 17th. One of those women, he killed their dog first. Remember yeah. that part in the story? I think it's this first No, one, he didn't right? actually rape that girl. That was That was after he was with... Carla that that happened he was still going out like he had snuck out of the house that night oh, to do okay that okay so he that snapped later a poodle's on. neck and then like attacked yeah. a girl and then somebody's lights came on in their house and he ran off yeah but he, like, that was way later up on him this is he... before he's even met Carla were these events oh okay he met her in October this is May May July 
July 17th, he attempted to rape a young woman, although he beat the victim. He abandoned the attack when she fought back. So, yeah, as we've talked about before, it's almost always the best move to fight, you know. Absolutely. And not let these. Yeah, beat the shit out of them. Yeah. September 29th, 1987, um, he attempted to rape a 15-year-old girl. He broke into the house of a Scarborough in Scarborough and entered the victim's bedroom. He jumped on her back, put his hand over her mouth, threatened her with a knife. Yeah. Bruised the side of her face and bit but her, her ear. her mother got up, right? This um, is her. This, yeah. This girl's he fled when heard the, it. He fled when the victim's mother entered the room and screamed. 19 years old at the time of the crime, Anthony Hannemeyer was convicted of the sexual assault in 1989 and served a six-month prison sentence, but was exonerated after Bernardo admitted to the crime in 06. So this poor bastard went down for this. In 89. In 89. And yeah. then he served six months. So now everyone. 16, 16 months. 16 months. Yeah. Oh. For a rape he didn't do. And months. I'm sure it was treated as a rapist in prison, which he may have been raped himself. And Jesus. who knows? I mean, it makes you wonder what they had on him. To Maybe he was already kind of a – maybe he was raping other people maybe and they just kind of pinned back. it on him too. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to say for sure because we don't know this poor bastard. <laughs> no, but, no, 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 no. Uh, December 16th, 1987. So this is shortly after he had met Carla. Um, he raped a 15-year-old girl. The next day, Metropolitan Toronto Police issued a warning to women at Scarborough traveling alone at night, especially those riding buses. Then on December 23rd, 1987, so two days before Christmas, the rape of a 17-year-old girl with a knife he used to threaten his victims. At this point, he began to be known as the Scarborough Rapist. <clears throat> and um, in April 18th, 1988, he attacked a 17-year-old girl. May 25th, 1988, this he was just near, like a freaking... He was just... He was on a terror, dude. Yes, so frequently. He was... Uh, on May 25th, he was nearly caught uh, by a uniformed Metro Toronto investigator staking out a bus shelter. Although the investigator noticed Bernardo hiding under a tree and pursued him on foot, he escaped. <laughs> so clo first close call of this there story. There he is, hiding under that tree. Right? Yeah, dude's hiding in a tree <laughs> when you're staking out a rape scene. That's not a good look. No. May 30th, 1988, uh, he raped an 18-year-old woman in Mississauga, Ontario, about 25 miles southwest of Scarborough. And then, dude, he's just... This is bad. Like, this is like a paste, like East Area rapist status. October 4th, 1988, he attempted to rape in Scarborough. Although his intended victim fought him off, he inflicted two stab wounds to her thigh and buttock, which required 12 stitches. Then in November, so this is multiple times per month, pretty much. November, he strikes twice. <clears throat> um, November 16th, he raped an 18-year-old woman in the backyard of her parents' house. November 17th, the next day, Metro Police formed a task force to capture the Scarborough Rapist. December 27th, he attempted rape. Now they've had enough. Now, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? This last one you know what? really got me thinking we need to do yeah, something here. That's just one too many. He always liked to do stuff. Or it seemed like he really had a lot of these were like right around Christmas. You notice that? Yeah, like with were. Carla's sister was Christmas Eve, right? right? Which we're getting to soon. Yeah. But this previous Christmas in 87... He'd raped someone. And then December 27th, two days after Christmas in 88, he attempted rape with a neighbor who chased him off. Well, you know what, though? He's doing most of these, it looks, in the darker months of the year. So there's more nighttime, too, which mm -hmm. is probably when helpful. the days are shorter. Yeah. The days are much shorter, especially in Canada, mm -hmm. I would think. A. Eh? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> June 20th, 1989, he attempted to rape. The young woman fought, and her screams alerted neighbors. Bernardo fled with scratches on his face. That might be the one with the poodle. Mm, okay, <clears throat> I think I know the neighbors scared him off on that one. Yeah, it was said he was driving through in like an apartment complex late at night, and he saw this girl walking her dog, and he hated yeah. dogs apparently. 
hated dogs. I guess he had bought Carla one because, you know, just for companionship, but he's right. allergic to him and he just hated him. Yeah. And, you know, snapped this dog's neck apparently. And then he snuck up on it somehow. Because the, the book described it as like he couldn't sneak up behind her because the dog would know. So he, he just, just ran, like he just ran up on straight her. at it. Yeah. And, and, and took out the dog right away. Yeah. And then she Apparently screamed and alerted threw it members. in the woods. <laughs> Crazy. August 15th, 1989, the rape of a 22-year-old woman. Bernardo stalked the previous night outside of her window um, of her apartment and waited for her home uh, to arrive home where he then raped her. You ever notice, like, most serial killers, there's very few serial killers that actually have dogs. I was just thinking about this. Or, like, pets in general. Seems like they're they're largely loners, or they'll have like a family, maybe like you know, like a BTK type, but they rarely yeah. have dogs. Like they usually don't like little companions. But, okay, think about how much stuff they have to organize, and then think about having to feed and take out a dog. <laughs> I know, and I I think it says <laughs> something like, about them. They don't have from a compassion standpoint. Shit. They don't care about other living creatures enough to do. Ah, you know what I'm saying? I see what you're saying. Yeah, unless it serves some sort of purpose yes, to them. Which how could it? Yeah, like Son of Sam, for instance. Right. Um, but they almost yeah, never do. Know. No, you're right. They almost never do. I just can't see, like, Dahmer just being home enough. That dog would be so lonely. Right. You know, he's just always on the go. Yeah, and then the dog's got to watch what he's doing yeah. to these young men. Oh, and the smells, too. The things the that dog... Like Good, it's times for the best. Ours. The things those dogs would see. It's true. They it's, don't need it's that It's much better life. Dahmer doesn't have dogs. Right. November 21st, 1989, he raped a 15-year-old girl that he saw in a bus shelter... December 22nd, man, I just like, this is one thing the book didn't cover is a lot of these. Like it just kind of insinuated that he was out doing this stuff. Right. Didn't go into a lot of it. No, it was more of the important stuff. I didn't more realize the extent, like yeah. how many, like how much of a serial rapist he was, like how many of these he had really done is all, it's a lot. It's a crazy pace. When you that see he's it on. on this list. From 87 to 89, it's just nonstop. And then even yeah. into 90. December 22nd, right around Christmas again, yep. 1989, he raped a 19 year old woman. December, uh, May 26th, 1990. Um, he raped another 19-year-old. His victim's uh, vivid recollection of her attacker, attacker enabled police to create a computer composite portrait, which was released two days later by the police and published in Toronto and area newspapers. And this thing was spot on. It looked just like him. He mentioned that it looked like him. Yeah, and the friends of his and like the friends of his of Carla mm-hmm. immediately went to the police saying, "We think they'd already yeah. been saying." <laughs> they were like, "Hey." This is him. <laughs> yeah, this is how he ended spot up on, on suspect lists because people that he knew were turning him in because they knew he was right. a creepy fuck. And he's up to no good. And July night, and then when that composite comes out, they're just like, "Oh, definitely him. Definitely Look at that. No doubt. Looks like he took a picture of him." July 1990, two months after police received tips that Bernardo fit the Scarborough rapist composite, he was interviewed by two police detectives. From May to September of 1990, police submitted more than 130 suspects samples for DNA testing. Eventually, they received two reports that the person they were seeking was Bernardo. The first in June had been filed by a bank employee. The second was from Tina. Smyrnies, uh, wife of one of the three Smyrnies brothers who were among Bernardo's closest friends. Um, she told detectives that Bernardo, quote, had been called in on a previous rape investigation once in December 1987, but he had never been interviewed. So, as we said, it took a long time for them to run this DNA before right. he was finally connected. He frequently talked about his sex life to Smyrnies and said that he liked rough sex, anal sex, and tossing... <laughs> just like I didn't expect that <laughs> did not expect that your face oh my god 
<laughs> you, you like can't even finish saying you say i don't know if you should keep that in there and tossing salad yeah it's just when you're talking about people that aren't willing tossing salads is not cool smarini's phrasing awkward and stilted left detectives uncertain whether to take her seriously however after cross-checking several files they decided to interview bernardo and then um so on november 20th 1990 they did an interview that lasted 35 minutes Bernardo voluntarily, provi- voluntarily provided samples for forensic testing. When the detectives asked Bernardo why he thought he was being investigated for the rapes, he admitted that he resembled the composite, as we had mentioned. Mm-hmm. According to the detectives, he was far more credible than the Smirinis, who had an awkward and strange way of speaking. Police thought that she might be uh, trying to collect the reward. Bernardo was released the next day. I wonder day. what they meant by that. Had an awkward, strange way of speaking. Like, <laughs> what are they doing? So you just ruin all, you just forget all credibility just, of her because she uh, speaks weird. That's, she speaks weird. I don't like, I don't like her diction. Right. <laughs> I don't like the rhythm. <laughs> I don't trust her. I don't, I don't, trust don't her. like the way she I talks. I don't like the tone. <laughs> I don't like your tone there. I don't know why. I guess there's a New York, uh, New York detective. Canadians. Uh, well, it's, they're in Toronto. They're not that far away. Is that right, right above uh, New York? Yeah. Okay. They're not too far. You never know with Canada. That place is huge, man. Yeah. They got all these different provinces. <laughs> they're all different too. All I know is they all work in oil fields. Yeah, and I'll the, say Surrey. They can be very. They yeah, like hockey. Very different, actually. Yeah, no so, doubt. But all kind, from what we hear, except for these two, <laughs> right? Yeah. A couple of assholes. They they took up all of Canada's assholery right here. For real. And they got these now. So this is the point where they get the DNA from him, right? And then they don't test it for the next two years. I mean, they don't they don't compare it to the samples that they've been taking from these rape victims. And what happens in those two years, man? Some more victims occur. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about Tammy Hamolka, which is one big part of this story that you hear. If you know this story, you know the Tammy aspect of it, which Tammy was uh, Carla's younger sister. By 1990, Bernardo was spending long periods of time with the Hamolka family who liked him. Although he was engaged to Carla, he flirted with her younger sister, Tammy, all the time. Bernardo had not told them that he had lost his job as an accountant and was smuggling cigarettes across the the nearby Canada-United States border. So that's how he's making his living. He's got a fancy sports car and shit. Oh, yeah. He's making good money smuggling. Mercury Capri. Oh, shit. Which is like a Mustang kind of that time, I think. I think it's like they're... It's not that fancy. No, it is. It's like a... It's like Mercury's version of the Mustang. I mean, I'm gonna it's drive the same me company. a Mercury and smuggle cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, you know, it's the same thing. It's just an ugly Mustang. All right, that's not that cool, man. No, it's not. Okay. I don't think so. It's but he's like all, that. but he's all vampire-y and sparkly though. So, yeah, and he's got cartons of cigarettes if you need them. Total little sidetrack here. You know what kind of car I saw yesterday at huh. work? A Subaru Brat. Oh shit. A Old school. A Subaru Brat 4x4 with a little roll cage in the oh, back. That's dope. Right? You never see those. Super cool. Very cool. It's the car that uh, Joy had on My Name is Earl. You remember that show? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you awesome. wreck my brat? Paul had become obsessed with Tammy, Carla's younger sister, looking into her window and entering her room to masturbate while she slept. Molka helped Bernardo by breaking the window into her sister's room, allowing him access. So... I don't understand it, man. I don't understand how... Letting him essentially assault her sister and and helping him do it, it only gets worse from here. I don't understand how a woman can help another woman become a victim in that way. And not only just any other woman, her sister. Exactly. That's what I was about to get at. Let alone a woman that that you love, Yeah. that you're related to. Especially if you know what that experience is like. 
How could sounds you? like they the, the sisters didn't have the closest relationship. They were a lot of times trying to make each other jealous. You know, Carla was the older, better. You know, in in uh, Tammy's eyes, she was like the the one that always got everything. She was the yeah. good looking older sister that got all the attention, and she would always rub it in to right. Tammy. But now Tammy's getting the attention from Paul, and it's driving Carla a little bit crazy. Um, it's weird. But at the same time, she's also helping him fill his, his sexual fantasies always. I know. Like even with her own sister. Yeah. She'll do whatever it takes to keep Paul happy. Yeah. Yeah. That's all the basic line of things. And it, the book made it sound like she was a lot of the motivation for her was he had money and stuff and she wanted to use him for that. Like right. She wanted fan, like a ring and she wanted a fancy house and all this stuff. So I don't know what her true motivations were. What do you think her true motivations to helping with all this stuff? Do you think it was? Um, I was think it was. At, I think she was a little bit addicted to the excitement, probably, mm-hmm. if I'm being honest. I think she, she liked, liked being bad, right? She liked the badness. She liked breaking the law. She liked yeah. um, She liked being powerful. Do you think she would have been a, a lifetime criminal person with if she hadn't met Paul? No. No? But ma- She would have been a bad person. If she found someone like Paul, yeah. She would have been a bad I don't person. Think no she doubt. Has... She would have been a thief and stuff like that probably. Yeah. You know what I mean? And but like, she's probably more of the behind-the-scenes orchestrator, and then she likes to see how it plays out. And Paul right. is like But she never actor. would have been involved in these horrific sexual crimes and murders so. if she didn't meet a guy like Paul, right? Exactly. But she was almost probably destined to meet a guy like Paul, it seems. But does Paul even take it this far? Without I got her, a, I got a theory. Yes. That, I mean, he like, was already a serial rapist before he met her, Michael. Yeah, so but, yeah, <laughs> say so. No, I'm saying I'm talking about the murders. Paul yeah. didn't kill nobody until he met Carla. That's kind That's of true. odd. That's true. It that, seems like every time there was a murder, Carla was there. Yeah, that is weird coincidence. Real weird. Right? Yeah. So just Very throwing true. that out there. Mm-hmm. And it could have been her jealousy of this girl that he's giving more attention to. Yeah. He, she kills her. She's not around anymore. No more jealousy. Right. This is all just alleged. Yeah, um, speculation. speculation. That's what our podcast that's, is about, that's man. What we, do. we speculate. In July, he took Tammy across the border to get beer for a party. Bernardo later told his fiance that they, quote, got drunk and began making out. This made uh, Carla very jealous, obviously. And Tammy secretly yeah. loved it that she finally got to make her sister jealous. Yeah, dude. I heard Tammy that. was very into Paul. Let's make that clear. That's what the book said. Early on. That's what the book said. Yeah. I didn't see that nowhere else. Okay. But the book made it seem like, yeah. Both well, it sisters makes sense, were right? factuated, infatuated. It makes sense. She's him. a much older, cool guy that's dating it your older sister. It, 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 it's probable. I mean, right. it's, we don't know for sure. But over the summer, he supplied Tammy and her friends with gifts, food, soda, and anything they needed to party. Bernardo always openly complained that Carla was not a virgin when they met. At an, as, and as an early Christmas present, Carla decided to give him her sister's virginity. Ralph. That is... Just so disgusting sick, right? on so many levels. Right. Homolka prepared by stealing halothane, an anesthetic from a web, the vet clinic where she worked. Never heard of that before, that anesthetic before. Mm-hmm. It sounds like some scary shit from this story. Yeah, I wonder what kind of animal it's used. And then right around Christmas again, December 23rd, All 1990, <laughs> Homolka and Bernardo administered sleeping pills to the 15-year-old Car- uh, Tammy in, an, in a rum and eggnog cocktail when Tammy lost consciousness. So the way that um, the Homolkas parented, Tammy and, and uh, Carla's parents, they tend to let their daughters drink if they were within their household. They trusted right. Carla to look after Tammy. They let Tammy drink when she was 15 as long as it was at home and all that. Right. They figure they're safer doing it there than they were wrong. being out somewhere else. <laughs> they yeah. were wrong because they they're absolutely wrong. misjudged their older daughter. 
had no idea how dark she truly was. They also really liked Paul and bought into his fake personality when he was around them. They, yes, they didn't they see did. his dark sides. They were, uh, well, I'm maybe sure, he was I'm good. Sure he sold it very well. I was going to say, maybe well. he was good at that. Yeah, he sold it. I'd like to think that when my daughter, daughter starts dating boys, I'm going to be able to read through their fake shit. Oh, you think? I'm going to be watching them like a fucking hawk. Dude, here's how you know. They're all shit. <laughs> they all want one thing and we know it yep I'm hoping to be at least like a brown belt by then in jiu-jitsu and then there you go you know I, it's, I got a lot of years before I gotta worry about that shit she's four months old <laughs> yeah you got a while dude don't stress about it enjoy these years of innocence <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> thank god <laughs> when Tammy lost consciousness Hamolka and Bernardo undressed her Carla applied halothane uh, a halothane soaked cloth to her sister's nose and mouth um, apparently way too much. Like you're, she didn't need to do it for very long yeah. and she did it for way too long with Tammy's parents sleeping upstairs. They videotaped themselves raping her in the basement. Tammy began to vomit and choked on the vomit. Paul and Carla tried to revive her, but were not successful. So Carla held this halothane cloth over her sister's mouth for mm-hmm. way too long, yeah. which knocked her out and then, you know, yeah. made her sick and yeah, they ended up fucking up and she, choked to death on on her own vomit which is common with overdosing rolled over on her side like right you don't know that kind of basic ass shit reminds you of breaking bad right when he watched when he he watched jesse's girlfriend choke on her and he didn't do any he didn't do anything to stop it it seems very reminiscent of that doesn't it spoiler alert the show's been over for how long now but oh dude god that scene was intense it was so intense oh my god where you just get like goosebumps and then when he told jesse later Remember he just oh, brought yeah. it up? Like we, this is like what we talked about earlier. When you, bring, face, when you throw that bomb on somebody, that's like in the, the bomb. Argument, that's, that's the bomb, bomb dude. Yep. Oh, I watched your girlfriend die, and I didn't stop it. Yeah. What? And then slam the door and walk out. Fuck, that show's intense. I got to watch yeah. it again. I know. <laughs> if you haven't watched Breaking Bad, people. Oh, my God. What, what are, you are you doing with your life? What are you show on TV. Fuck you. Game of Thrones. No, it's still good, too. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, They called 911 after hiding evidence of their involvement. So they actually, this happened in the basement, and then they drug her. They freaked out because it was dark in the basement and they drug her to Tammy's room rather than, t- or not Tammy, uh, Carla's room rather than turning on a light. Which, yeah. You know, so they're, they're panicking because they didn't mean to kill her. Seems Obviously, like it got out yeah. of hand. Yeah. Um, so they hid the evidence of their involvement. They dressed Tammy and moved her into uh, Carla's bedroom. A few hours later, Tammy was pronounced dead at St. Catherine's General Hospital without ever regaining consciousness. Uh, despite their behavior, uh, the strange vacuuming and washing laundry in the middle of the night during all of this. And despite a chemical burn on Tammy's face, the coroner and the Homolka family accepted Bernardo and Homolka's version of events in which she drank too much, got sick and choked on her own vomit. I guess the medical examiner uh, kind of played off the burn on the side of the face as though it could have been from the stomach acid. So I'm guessing, but I mean, you do this for a living. Is that common where your stomach acid can burn your skin like that? They said Carla and Paul said that it was from dragging her body or whatever. Yeah, on the carpet. On the so carpet. you you drug her face down, right? Sons of bitches, dude! It just seems like some shoddy they work didn't here. Do that. That's some shoddy work. Like it's some shoddy. And work. And shouldn't you do like a toxicology test or whatever to see what all was Here's in her, and thing, you would have dude, found the fucking poison what, that they did? What was the legal drinking age? Because wouldn't the parents be held responsible if they got death think, by child alcohol? endangerment? Right? Like, let's see. What year is this? Ninety-one. Let's see what Google says. Look it up. And you got to think Toronto, Canada, too, what the laws were there. What was the legal drinking age in 1991 in Toronto, Canada? You got all that, Google. 19. 
Oh wait, that might have been men. Alberta and Manitoba, the legal drinking age is 18. The drinking age in Ontario was also 18 up through 1978, but on January 1st, 1979, it was raised to 19, where it has remained ever since. 19. So she well, was we talked 15. about the parents had allowed their younger daughter to drink in their own household, but from a law standpoint, your your daughter got so fucked up that she, you know, puked and choked on her own vomit and mm -hmm. all that, and you guys were sleeping in your bed, you know, sleeping so in your rooms. I see. I mean, kids, I mean, you can't always... They could have just said, I didn't know they were drinking, you know, and blame it more on Carla. And then, of course, the law is not going to come down on her if they, if she just. She was underage, let her, too. Let right? her sister Aren't drink too still? much. Or was she an adult this time? She, I, I don't think, know. I think she was 19. Oh, okay. So she was. She was old just enough. Just old enough. Yeah, but man. That's the medical examiner. I feel like flubbed this. The police flubbed it. Like, everything was so fishy. Like, if you're at that, that scene. It just doesn't. These things aren't right. And everything that you find about this this part of the story is so glossed over, isn't yeah. it? It's just like, oh, this happened, this happened, and they said, "Yep, we believe you," and then they just move on. It's like, where is the process? That being said, I mean, the police are just that's they're not in that mindset when they go to a girl who choked on her own vomit. They're but assuming Paul that she is already under scrutiny here, isn't he? Yes. Did they check that though? Did what they really the look into Paul's background? Did they check his his you know DNA is still waiting to be tested? But still, he still should be there. Still should be some file. But you have to imagine it wasn't the same police, the same investigators that knew about him that showed up to this event. So they probably, if they didn't, well, let's really look into everyone here in this overdose situation. They probably just assumed this is a common thing where people get, you know, they get intoxicated or they get pilled out or whatever, and they choke yeah. on their own vomit. It happens. That's why you always taught you know when you get when you drink way too much like my wife's always been this way with my friends and stuff uh when we were in our early 20s and we drank all the time she would go around and check them while they slept and make sure they were turning on their turn on their side and not sleeping on their back yeah so that they because that stuff happens yeah. it's it's an unfortunate thing it's 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 i'm sure they the paramedics police they've seen a lot of the same thing where young people choke on their own vomit from right, being right. too messed up and so they probably just assumed this is another one and they're not going to look this and Paul guy was just a guy that happened to be there. He's dating her sister. He has a reason to be there. Right. So. Yeah. And as far as the rash goes, people's skin reacts to so many different things in so many different ways. People have different allergies. And, and you're not thinking this girl was poisoned with some shit that a girl got from the fucking veterinarian office. No, I mean, not even. But wouldn't that be found in her but though? But here's my other question, right? This is a, um, wouldn't you think part of the autopsy, the medical examiner's job would be to examine her whole body and he would find that she'd been raped? You know what I'm saying? Find yes. that she was 15. Like, should should she have just had sex that night? They, you would obviously be able to tell that. Yeah. Right. And what about the, the remaining? So then that would bring up new questions, like why did how who did this girl have sex with tonight? What about the remaining fluid that would be in her body from the from the anesthetics and stuff? Yeah, None of that that's stuff what I'm was saying. found. The they were like, toxicology, oh, here's horse tranquilizer. Toxicology. If a person overdoses, you would think that'd be one of the first things they do. What were they on? Yes. Test them. Exactly. Why does she have this chemical from a veterinarian office in her, this anesthetic? Right. That is not a normal drug people do. Exactly. How did she even get it? How did she get it? She would have to have access. That would be such an easy investigation right there. Yeah. It just seems like they just kind of like, well, overdose. Let's just move yeah, on with our lives here. Yeah. Let's just assume everything at face value. Nothing to see here. Keep moving. Wow. It's in a big city, too. It's not like some small backwoods town where things right. just get glossed over. Mm-hmm. The official cause of Tammy's death was listed as accidental choking on vomit after consumption of alcohol. 
Renardo and Homolka subsequently videotaped themselves with Carla wearing Tammy's clothing and pretending to be her. Yeah. They eventually moved out of the Homolka house to rent to a rented bungalow to allow Homolka's to allow Homolka's parents to grieve. I'm sure they were real concerned about that. Yeah. They just wanted some new play, new layer to fucking do some more dark shit. I think yep. this one really opened the door to just their the darkest stuff. Like I already Carlos like I killed my sister. What I mean, what's going to stop me now? I'm already a terrible person. Yeah. Yeah, you're Let's right, just dude. Have fun that could have been the Yeah, that could have been the, the straw point. that broke the camel's back right there. Yeah. For sure. Well, they, we've talked about it a lot of times serial killers, they, the first one doesn't that just really kicks them into high gear yeah. they're like i think paul was his mom and then carla's turning point was the murder and mm-hmm. i think maybe that's maybe that's why she killed everybody no i'm just kidding <laughs> she probably allegedly i'm sure kidding. she did feel some allegedly. something as far as like she probably felt bad about the way that went with her sister and now yeah. she's like doing more heinous things just to take her mind off of it you know what I mean? Like she needs a new thrill so that she doesn't sit around thinking know. about the fact that that went down. I think it's what you said the first time. I think it just broke the dam. She enjoyed and now, it. And now she's like, I've already went this far. Yeah. Why would I have any remorse about killing anybody else? Maybe she didn't feel bad when her sister died. Yeah. Maybe she didn't. Yeah, she was just relieved, like uh, yeah. not jealous anymore because yeah. she's dead now. And yeah. Paul he, can't obsess over her anymore. He can't have the her book now. made it sound like Paul oh, never was, got over this shit. He was say. so obsessed Paul with Paul had Tammy. a breakdown. Paul had a breakdown after this. Yes. He did. There was a whole chapter. Paul's like Paul so loses much it. it was so, a chapter in this yeah, book. Yeah, like so much so that Carla thought he was trying to make a plea for insanity. Yeah, he was trying you know, to build a defense like for their later a, capture. Exactly. Because he knew that they had his DNA on file. Yep. And he knew he was going to get caught. So she thought the way he was reacting to Tammy's death was so over the top. Like he would be hanging out with friends and start punching himself in the face yeah. and crying. And, and could, the book made it sound like he was so infatuated with Tammy even more after she died, which we've talked about before. Yeah. When people die, they become more loved and all that. That's right. Um, but he, he was, he'd be the people, the girls that he would kidnap and rape and stuff after this, the book insinuated that he was always pretending they were Tammy. He would put their clothes on them or yeah. Cam, Tammy's clothes on them. And yeah. And think like about Tammy, earlier, he would even look even at Carla pictures of Tammy while he was doing these acts. Yeah. He would make Carla wear Tammy's like underwear and stuff. Didn't after he this. make her wear like a Tammy mask or like a picture of Tammy? Oh God. The book mentioned that, that he made her wear some sort of cover of her face. It was like a printed out picture of Tammy or something. Why would you be in this relationship if you're Carla? That's what I'm saying. Like, how demeaning. Right? Shortly after Tammy Homolka's funeral, her parents left town and Carla's remaining sister, Lori, visited her grandparents in Mississauga. Mississauga? Mississauga? I don't know. I'm going to butcher this if you're Canadian. Mississauga? Mississauga? Leaving the house empty. During the weekend of January 12, 1991, Bernardo abducted a girl, took her to the house, raped her while Homolka watched, and dropped her off in a, on a deserted road near Lake Gibson. Bernardo and Homolka called her January Girl because they never even learned her name. Wow. At about 5.30 a.m. on April 6, 1991, Bernardo abducted a 14-year-old girl. She was warming up uh, to be on a local rowing team. The girl was distracted by a blonde woman who waved at her from her car enabling Bernardo to drag her into the shrubbery near the rowing club. He sexually assaulted her and forced her to remove her clothes and wait five minutes, during which he disappeared. And so are they saying that um, that uh, Carla had helped him on this one? She was the girl that waved her down or whatever? Yeah, she would be the blonde girl that waved her over. This yeah, is so her, now this is her participating first in him raping, active abducting and raping these yeah. girls. 
Derek Finkel's 1997 book, No Claim to Mercy, presented evidence tying Bernardo to the murder of Elizabeth Bain, who disappeared on June 19, 1990, three weeks after the last known attack of the Scarborough rapist. Bain told her mother that she was going to check the tennis schedule at the University of Toronto, Scarborough. Three days later, her car was found with a large blood stain in the back seat. So, I mean, he's also, like, the, of the ones we know, the murders that him and Carla were involved in or mm-hmm. him alone, there's way more that there could be him. You know, there's, and there's also video that was presented in court later that there was video of unconscious girls on these tapes that they basically ruled out the victims that they knew. They either didn't match. Right. Something didn't match. So those could have also been girls that ended there's up There's no dying. telling how many victims they had. No. And then, like, as far as the blood stains and stuff, like, um, they're even on the rape attacks. He stabbed people a lot. Paul mm-hmm. did. Yeah, we Remember talked earlier he, about he stabbed one in the stomach and yeah, leg or something. So, you know, he, he didn't technically kill anyone by himself, but he, he was could still have. slinging knives. No, he could he have, could have easily killed somebody. He could have. We just don't, you know. Yeah, have anything directly know. tying him to him. Exactly. Um, when Carla worked at a pet shop several years earlier, she had befriended a fellow coworker, a 15-year-old girl, who would be later known as Jane Doe. On June seventh. 1991, Homolka invited the girl known as Jane Doe during their tr- eventual trials for a girl's night out. After an evening of shopping and dining, Homolka plied Jane Doe with an alcohol-laced hal- uh, halcyon drink. When the girl lost consciousness, Homolka called Bernardo to tell him that his surprise wedding gift was ready. They are just unbelievable. <laughs> These are the gifts honestly. for each other, like yeah. a young girl. They then proceeded to videotape and rape the girl, both of them. The next morning, Jane Doe was nauseated. She thought that her vomiting was from drinking alcohol for the first time and did not realize that she had been uh, sexually assaulted. Jane Doe was invited back to their house in August and spent the night in a replay of what happened to Carla's sister. Tammy Homolka um, stopped uh, Jane Doe, whose identity was protected by law because she was a minor at the time, ended up stop, stopping breathing after she was drugged and Bernardo began to rape her. Homolka called 911 for help, but called back a few minutes later to say that everything was all right. The ambulance was recalled without a follow-up. Jane Doe ended up surviving. But I'm sure it stopped hanging yeah, out there at their house. Yeah, there was an incident where they she thought she was dead, and yeah. they didn't want to be with it. They didn't want this to happen again. Mm-hmm. And then she woke up yeah. while she was on the phone with I the operator. I don't think this girl wanted to come back, hang out there anymore, because the first time she woke up sick as hell, thought it was from drinking. The second yeah. time... She almost died. So, yeah. So, <laughs> bad things are happening whenever I hang out at the Homolka's right? place. Exactly. <clears throat> Early in the morning of June 15th, 1991, Bernardo detoured through Burlington, halfway between Toronto and St. Catharines, to steal license plates and met Leslie Mahaffey. The 14-year-old had missed her curfew after attending a friend's wake and was locked out of her house. This is a girl who was known to kind of, like, bounce around. Her parents, she'd be gone for a day, but she always come back. Mm-hmm. And uh, this night in particular, sometimes her mom would lock her out if she got back back too late. This is one of those nights. Right. And so she got in the car with this guy who happened to be Paul. This is where tough Bernardo. parenting doesn't God, really work out, the, right? being that mom? Like, you know, you locked oh. her out. She came home and she was locked out and then this happens. That's got to be just... It's just not worth it to prove a point. Right. Bernardo left his car and approached Mahaffey saying that he wanted to break into a neighbor's house. Unfazed, she asked if he had any cigarettes. When Bernardo led her, led her to his car, he blindfolded her, forced her into the car, and drove her to the house and informed Homolka that they had a victim. Bernardo and Homolka videotaped themselves torturing and sexually abusing Mahaffey while they listened to Bob Marley and David Bowie. You can't disgrace wow. Marley and Bowie with this shit. You know what? This may be the worst thing I've ever heard about them. 
right? I mean, there's some real bastards. I feel like uh, Ramstein or something like that, maybe. But mm-hmm. you're gonna, how are you going to listen to Bob Marley? Don't worry. Right. While you're doing this shit, it's the biggest con- contradiction wow. of all time. That's how, but that explains a lot about their psyche, doesn't it? That right. that's the mode they were in. Yeah, because this is, their calming world is right. Is, it's not that Bob Marley sounds intense or evil yeah. to them. It's just that's how this they feel. They're place. in that mode. This yeah. is their happy place. Is doing they have horrific to be, right? things to to listen to this and go along. Yeah, you got to be really sick, man. At one point, Bernardo said, quote, you're doing a good job, Leslie, a damn good job, adding the next two hours are going to determine what I do to you. Right now, you're scoring perfect. In another segment of tape played at Bernardo's trial, the assault escalated. Mahaffey cried out in pain and begged Bernardo to stop. In the prosecution's description of the scene, he was sodomizing her with her hands while, um, while her hands were bound with twine. So sick detail, but it gives you insight into how horrific these people were, man. It's just... Dude, the juries had to watch this stuff. They had to watch these tapes. And then the whole that's, courtroom could hear the audio. Yeah. That's Imagine just being in there, dude. That's it's almost unfair to do to someone. Like they're never It gonna, really is. They're not I mean, they need to see it, I suppose, so that they can understand and, and do and make a fair decision on these go back people's to your fate. normal life. Like but yeah, man. after that, after watching that tape. Yeah. Just go back like nothing happened. I mean, I guess they weed out the jury members who say that they'll be affected by it, and the ones who stick by say that they can handle it. So that's all that's all you can really do because you do need to know the, all the facts of a case before you can make a decision on someone's fate. Yeah. So I, I understand why they do it. You right. have to do it. But, man, it's unfortunate for those jury members that maybe they said, yeah, I'll be fine, and they didn't really understand the extent of this shit, man. This is as dark as humanity gets right here. It really is. It's an innocent young girl, and they're doing this stuff to her, you know, and videotaping and having fun with it. It's just... It's unfathomable. Carla really. did. Let's just say Carla did not get enough time at, at, by she any means. Dude. No, Mahaffey later told Bernardo that her blindfolded blindfold seemed to be slipping, which signaled the possibility that she could identify her attackers if she lived. The following day, Bernardo claims Hamolka f- fed her a lethal dose of Halcyon. Hamolka claims that Bernardo strangled her. Yeah, they never really um, gave. They never uh, either of them took credit for the murders. They yeah. blamed it on the other one always. That's just part of it. I definitely am going to go with Homolka gave her a lethal dose of Halcyon. How much easier would that be? Mm-hmm. She's already incapacitated. Yeah. Why is and he going to Why is he going to go through the trouble of strangling her? And he had all these uh, serial. He did all these rapes, and he never he never strangled anyone. anybody. Yeah. Which it just seems it seems like that would have been an and a, also, an MO. um, the body is this the one that they. They dismembered her. Yeah. yeah, either way, Leslie Mahaffey was dead. They put Mahaffey's body in their basement, and the day after that, Homolka family had a dinner at the house. Yeah. After the Homolka family left, Bernardo and Carla decided the best way to dispose of the evidence would be to dismember Mahaffey and encase each part of her remains in cement. So they made these cement blocks, very strange, that with body so parts strange. in each one, and they painted them black for some reason. I guess they thought they'd be look more natural or something. I have no idea. They were planning on throwing them in the water. Right. Bernardo brought a dozen bags of cement at a hardware store the following day, keeping the receipts, which were eventually damaging at his trial. Yeah. He then used his grandfather's circular saw to dismember Mahaffey. Uh, They made a number of trips to the dump, uh, the cement blocks in Lake Gibson, 11 miles south of where they lived. So they went to dump these blocks in the lake. Right. At least one of the blocks weighed 200 pounds and was beyond their ability to sink. It ended up being left near the shore where it was found by guy named Michael Doucette and his son while on a fishing expedition. 
Mahaffey's orthodontic appliance was found, uh, an instrument from her work was found um, near this block or whatever. Or maybe it was inside the concrete block, and it helped I, uh, in identifying her uh, It probably fell in there. But yeah, the people that the found these blocks said that these people must not be locals because just like 100 yards down before yeah. they did it, they could have just thrown them right in the water, but they carried them out to the shore, these 200-pound <laughs> blocks. Yeah, so. It's funny, but they were... They weren't the brightest, dude. Let's they, just let's just make that clear. Right. Neither and, of these are very smart. Neither and just to clear, Paul near Carlo were very smart. Right. Just to clear your up all suspicion, they were locals. They only lived 11 miles from here. Right. They should have... They kind of should have known. Yeah. On the afternoon of April 16th, 1992, which was also the Thursday before Easter, Bernardo and Homolka drove through St. Catharines to, take, to look for potential victims. Although students were still heading home, the streets were generally empty. As they passed Holy Cross Secondary School, a Catholic school in the city's north end, they spotted 15-year-old Kristen French walking briskly to her nearby home. They pulled into the parking lot of the nearby Grace Lutheran Church, and Homolka got out of the car, map in hand, pretending to need assistance. When French looked at the map, Bernardo attacked from behind, brandishing a knife and forcing her into the front seat of the car. From the back seat, Homolka controlled the girl by pulling her hair. French, uh, Kristen French took the same route home from school every day, taking about 15 minutes to get home and care for her dog. Not long after she would she would have arrived that day, her parents became convinced that something bad had happened. She was always home when they got there. She came straight home from school. They were right. very diligent parents that knew they had a young girl that, that they had to watch after. And they immediately reported to police that something was wrong. Right. Right after her abduction. They knew. Yeah. Within 24 hours, the Niagara Regional Police Service assembled a team, searched French's usual route, and found several witnesses who had seen the abduction fairly clearly from several different locations. French's shoe, recovered from the parking lot, underscored the seriousness of the abduction. Over the Easter weekend, Bernardo and Homolka videotaped themselves torturing and raping French, forcing her to drink large amounts of alcohol and submit to Bernardo. At his trial, Prosecutor Ray Houlihan said that Bernardo always intended to kill her because she was never blindfolded and could not uh, and could have identified her captors if she got released. The following day, Bernardo and Homolka murdered French before going to the Homolkos for Easter dinner. The books described uh, that scene where uh, Carla was basically getting her hair done, like doing her hair in the bathroom while Paul killed this girl, and then yeah. you know, getting ready for dinner with her parents. Super dark scene. And they just hide the body and head on over there. Yep. Homolka testified at her trial that Bernardo strangled French for seven, seven minutes while she watched and did her hair. Bernardo said that Homolka beat French with a rubber mallet because she tried to escape. French was strangled with a noose around her neck, which was secured to a piece of furniture. Her nude body would be found April 30th, 1992 in a ditch in Burlington, about 45 minutes from St. Catharines and a short distance from the cemetery where Mahaffey was buried. Um, uh, Mahaffey. She had been washed and her hair was cut off, although it was thought that French's hair was removed as a trophy. Molka testified that it was to impede identification. That doesn't make any sense. That, right. would, that wouldn't impede identification no. any way, shape, or form. No. It's definitely a trophy. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some more victims. Robert Baltovich, who has consistently maintained his innocence, was convicted of second-degree murder and the death of his girlfriend on March 31, 1992. At trial, his lawyer suggested that the the then unidentified Scarborough rapist was responsible for the crime. Baltovich served eight years and a life sentence before he was released pending appeal. In September 2004, his appeal was processed with his lawyers alleging that he had been wrongfully convicted and Bernardo was guilty of the murder. The Court of Appeal for Ontario set aside Baltovich's conviction on December 2, 2004, but on July 
15, 2005, the Attorney General of Ontario announced that he would face a new trial. And in 2008, after a series of pretrial motions, uh, Prosecutor Phil Philip Cotan told the court that he would call no evidence and ask the jury to find Baltovich not guilty of second-degree murder. Um, so, yeah, that this guy was basically drug into all this shit. He's finally cleared. Yep. It took how long up until 08? <laughs> was it? God. Yeah. Serious. Yeah. Crazy. 2008, and he was in, what, 89? Right? Wasn't that dude? Was that the dude that was? 1992. Oh. He, he was convicted of second-degree murder of the death of his girlfriend. Oh, my yeah. God. Exonerated in 08, finally. On March 29th, 1992, Bernardo stalked and videotaped two sisters from his car and followed them to his parents' house to their parents' house. The sisters saw him, but unfortunately they incorrectly recorded his license plate number. Maybe not. Remember, he's always still in place. Oh yeah, he's still in place, yeah. He could have just put a different tag on there. Very true. One sister reported the incident to the uh, NRP on March 31st, 1992 and received an incident number to report further information. With French under Homolka's guard on April 18th, 1992, Bernardo went to out to buy dinner and rent a movie. He was spotted by one of the sisters who attempted to track him to his house. Although she lost him, she got a better description of his license plate and car and reported them to police. Her information was mishandled by police, and the lead was never pursued. <laughs> Meanwhile, they had this young girl in their captivity being beaten and raped. You know, and it just seems Unreal. trivial at the time, like this, oh, there's this license plate and all this stuff, and but that's why it's so important police always take every lead seriously, you know? Yeah. You just never know. But dude, they get so many. I know, I know, dude. It's gotta. I can't say that I know what it's like, man. I can't. But we see this so much where it's frustrating. Yeah, you know, it's like you could have had them right here, but we only see the highlights. I know. We only see those highlights. I know. Or lowlights, rather. It's one of those things. It's like being a kicker in football, where it's like you only, you're only, basically get any. You get all the blame if you miss, and you get none of the credit if you make it. You're just expected to make it. You're expected to make it. You're expected to make it. Miss, you're an asshole. Exactly. So. <laughs> that's exactly right yeah but to be fair they're not getting or an their offensive lineman might be a better they're not getting their brains uh, i guess kickers get some credit when they, make, when they make a kick they get credit I'll, I'll say that so maybe it's like being an offensive lineman where it's like you should never hear their name it's basically when they give up a sack they're an asshole but they're You're expected right. to always protect the quarterback <laughs> yeah they're even worse that's yeah. true they do have the worst job in football right <laughs> no credit but they're like the most important yeah in 2006, Bernardo confessed to at least 10 more sexual assaults dating back to March 1986, including the 1987 assault of a 15-year-old girl. Another man, Anthony Hannemeyer, had been convicted of the assault and served a full sentence on it. On July 25, 2008, the Court of Appeal for Ontario overturned the conviction and exonerated Hannemeyer. My God, so many dudes spent so many years in prison for this fucker. Yep. I think, what, three? Three different dudes Three spent different a, a lot of years. Yeah. I'm not going to add them up, but it's tens Too of many. years. <laughs> tens of Too years. Many. But you think about it, man, with that rap sheet like he had, there may be some we don't even know about. Right. There may be cases he was tied to with all those rapes he was doing before he even met Carla. There's no telling. So let's dive into the investigation of these two. Mulka and Bernardo were questioned by police several times in connection with the Scarborough Rapist Investigation. Tammy Hamolka's vet, uh, death and Bernardo, Bernardo's stalking of other women before the death of French. A police officer filed a report on May 12, 1992. A police sergeant and constable briefly interviewed Bernardo. The officers decided that he was unlikely uh, their suspect, although Bernardo admitted that he had been questioned in connection with the Scarborough rapes. 
you know, when a guy's name keeps popping up, right? It's like, yeah, I was quite, yeah, I've been questioned a couple of years ago for this. Yeah. You know, and then it's like you come up in a totally different, you know, investigation. I'm sure he made at it. At a certain seem... point, the common denominator, you got to look a little harder at him. It's like this guy keeps popping up in all these investigations. He's doing something. He's up to no good. <laughs> He's doing something. You don't just randomly end up in all of these. <laughs> Listen, if you run with the dogs, you get the fleas. Yeah. This motherfucker got fleas. Yes. Just need to figure He's out where he's getting them from. In them. Yeah. Three days later, the Green Ribbon Task Force was created to investigate the murders of Mahaffey and French. Bernardo and Hamolka had applied the, to have their last names legally changed to Teal, which Bernardo had taken from the serial killer in the 1988 film Criminal Law. Never heard of that, but yeah, this is they. They also were known to. They were like a lot of you listeners. They were kind of obsessed with. True crime? True crime, yeah. Yeah, they were. They were really trying to... Uh, they really had taken to this lifestyle, didn't but they? they were when on they the dove end, in, they dove in. But they were on the end that we're against in that you idolize these criminals. And yep. I think they were more that type of true crime fan. Right. You don't... They're not... Uh, true crime books are not uh, self-improvement books. Right. You know, they're not like self-help. They're not interchangeable. You, yeah. You should just... Um, you should read them on, on what not to do, maybe. Yeah. Like, don't don't be a killer. Yeah, and to be and <laughs> to be aware of the evil rapist. that's out there. That's Don't one of the biggest things. To be aware. That's the I main think reason. One why. of the reasons I like true crime so much is is I want to know the reality of human beings and the darkest sides of them. I I, want, I would rather know than not know. That way I can. So you can it's be a safety thing. So you a lot can be of, prepared. Yeah, that's exactly right. It, it, it might be a large reason why so many my... women are into it. You know. Absolutely, it gives you a leg up, man. It does. It does. There's a lot of fucking creeps out there. Yeah, there is. At the end of May, John Motile reported Bernardo as a possible murder suspect. He was an acquaintance of the Smarinis and Bernardo. On December 1992, the Center of Forensic Sciences finally began testing DNA samples provided by Bernardo two years earlier. Right. Right on time. Right on time. Yeah. I mean, it's not like he kept doing Good hustle, fellas. bad things to people during those two years or anything. Right. So I'm sure he just stopped to wait for your yep. DNA testing. On December 27th, right around Christmas again, Bernardo severely beat Homolka with a flashlight, claiming that she had been in an automobile accident. Severely bruised, Homolka returned to work on January 4th, 1993 with that story of the car accident. This was definitely a mag light, right? This was not yeah, a, one of them big police. Because they said that she was hit so hard in the back of the head that the the blood brain vessels hit the in front the of the front skull. of her head. No, they like, said the brain actually hit the front of her okay, skull. Okay, the brain hit the front of her skull, and then it, it but it like caused a bunch of bruising in underneath or, around her eyes right well, well yeah your brain isn't like touching your skull from my understanding it's, it's got not a bunch, supposed to be it's got a bunch of the cable like receptor things yeah. holding it there right and so those were probably damaged yeah. from that carlos I, I sound like such a it's not biologist so, scientist right? oh yeah that sounds so, so technical <laughs> you know those cables in there that hold your brain <laughs> you know them cables there you gotta tighten them straps <laughs> like up a little bit in man there. you gotta have... it's suspended in there it's well, like it's... on a bungee cord some of them little suspensions only take so much man you start rocking the boat shit <laughs> gonna fall out you done blow a shock over That's there right. buddy. <laughs> you're blowing a brain shock and get them rebuilt you need to get new struts buddy Get you some alpha brain rebuild them shots. <laughs> it's like you got a bunch of mechanics in there when you take that alpha brain, building some new struts for you. In there. <laughs> Replacing the cylinders, yeah. filling them back with some nitrogen. <laughs> I can feel them working in there. I can. Brain feeling tighter already. Yeah, man. Carla's skeptical co-workers <laughs> called her parents, and although they rescued her the following day by physically removing her from the house, Homolka back, went back in frantically searching for something. Oh, I wonder what it was. Probably the tapes. Them fucking, uh, yeah, them yeah. death death sex tapes. The <coughs> off the things. You're, uh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you're, you know lo you're looking for your snuff films there. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly what they're looking at, but they weren't there. 
Dun, dun, dun. Right? Paul already had them. Paul. Always thinking ahead that, Paul. Her parents took her to St. Catherine's General Hospital where she gave a statement to the police that she was a battered spouse and filed charges against Bernardo. Best defense you got. Yeah, so this is a... And the way she looks right now, that's a pretty damn good defense. I think the book, generally, like their their outlook on her, a lot of other sources you said were kind of neutral on her. The book, I think, took a better... A better road, and that she not was evil only, as fuck too, not just only like Paul. Neutral. Dude, she was obviously in all in all this. She could have gotten out so time and time out. again and and turned him in. She never did. The stuff was not only neutral; it was almost empathetic. Driven. It was almost her. driven by her as well. It, in a lot it of times, it was very empathetic towards her, and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that she is free. She's out in the world. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, it, she played the victim in all this. In exactly, and I'm talking she acted about like she was just another victim of Paul, but. Right, and she's been exonerated. And there's a lot of people out there that believe she did time. She did the time that she deserved for her crimes. Come on, come on. She's the one who got the chemicals from the from the veterinarian office. She's the one who she may have not held that rag over her sister's mouth. She may have not killed them all, but she killed some. She's the one that waved down these young girls in the road and let their guard down so that Paul could abduct them. She may or may not have killed some of these girls herself out of jealousy or just impatience. Well, dude. You know how Kristen's French, Kristen French's hair was removed. Yeah, Paul really fell in love with her too. They don't know really how long she stayed with them. Mm-hmm. They say that it could have been up to like weeks. She was Maybe sleeping in months. their bed. Yes, yeah. like she did everything they said. Uh-huh. She like almost embraced it because she thought she was going to give her a better go. chance of survival. Exactly, which it was. And I think Paul kind of fell in love with her. Yeah. That's why I think and if Carla saw if the Carla whole thing with anybody, Tammy again, he saw this is a yes, whole new Tammy again. Yes, and she's like, I've already killed two, or yeah. or we've already killed two, you know. Yeah. However, they happened. Yeah. I really do. I think I don't think he wanted Kristen dead. I think he almost. Let's make it clear: we're not blaming Carla no, any I, more than we're blaming Paul. They're both evil monsters, in my opinion. I just think if there's Carla, maybe got off easy in this whole thing. Is what I'm saying. Whereas they're Paul, both, Paul at both. least got punished. Yes. Bernardo was then arrested but later released on his own recognizance. Bernardo became even more irrational and decided to take his own life. Fortunately, or not depending on your viewpoint, a friend who found Bernardo's suicide note intervened and Homolka moved in with relatives. Uh, 26 months after Bernardo submitted a DNA sample, Toronto police were informed that it matched that of the Scarborough rapist and immediately placed him under 24-hour surveillance. How did they, what? How did they not just arrest him? 20, oh, let's just keep an eye on this guy. He's it, definitely the he's the Scarborough rapist, according to DNA. Dude, every time I let's heard just this. keep an eye on him. Yeah. What? Just keep Canada. What, what are you doing? <laughs> Maybe they're trying to catch him in an act. We would have busted his head open. Our our police. Were like, we <laughs> oh, got him. Sure. We, we got him, busted dude. that damn door Throw down with that ground. iron log thing. He would have got a flashlight to the head. Oh yeah, a couple mag lights. Yeah, he'd have lost some struts that day. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> <laughs> Metro Toronto Sexual Assault Squad investigators interviewed Homolka on February 9th, 1993. Despite hearing their suspicions about Bernardo, Homolka focused on his abuse of her. Later that night, she told her aunt and uncle that Bernardo was the Scarborough rapist, that she and Bernardo were involved in the rape and murder of Mahaffey and French, and that, she, uh, and that the rapes were recorded on videotape. The police reopened its investigation of Tammy Homolka's death. Two days later, Carla met with Niagara Falls lawyer George Walker and sought legal immunity from the prosecution in exchange for her cooperation. That was smart. It Very was whoever smart. whoever was going to be first yeah. to do it. Yeah, you're beating him to the punch. Yep. She was also, but that, that it just shouldn't be that easy though. You know, if you if two people are doing evil, heinous acts upon others, 
together. Yeah. You shouldn't just let one off because they ratted the other one out. Especially if there's videotapes. Especially when you have DNA evidence to catch the guy. And you already know there's videotapes. That is the biggest thing. It's like, if you already know there's videotapes, be like, no, fuck you. We're going to watch the tapes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're going to sit your ass in jail. Yeah. And then we'll, we'll sort this out later. Yeah. Because the video, the video, the video tapes, tapes are everything. We're very damning upon her. They were everything. There is no defense for no. her behaviors in these tapes. Yeah. Period. And I mean, only... not that we've watched them. I would never want to watch them. But for everything I've heard about them is the only thing that saved her was the fact that this deal was already set in, in stone place, yeah. before she before and, those tapes were shown in and court. And the fact that the basically the clause uh, they they signed this thing saying that no media would be able to report anything about what goes on in trial exactly in Canada. Yep. And in the United States, there wasn't that packed. So but Canada were like, y'all got to check this shit out going on in Canada. Yeah. So in the U.S., we were like fucking reporting on it. Yeah. And Canadians were trying to get their hands. They're like, driving down to Buffalo getting newspapers and shit. But they could only, but Canada actually made a new law saying that they could only allow one newspaper at a time from America in. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. You could only have one for you. Yeah. And that's for it. For you. So they, the word wasn't really all out in Toronto. What if about you just, these two. you could just get up a whole bunch of friends. And just ride down there in like a van and just Each get, get one. <laughs> I got mine. It's like, like a, a fishing limit. passenger. <laughs> yeah, one per car, sir. Right. Oh no. I guess you could just bring it over and then print a bunch of copies, right? There was printers and scanners, right? Yeah. All you want's that story. Yeah. Just take that story out and you can make copies. The the couple's name change was finally approved on February 13, nineteen ninety three. The next day, Carly's Carla's attorney. George Walker met with the criminal law office director, Murray Siegel. After Walker told Siegel about the existence of the tapes and of the rapes, uh, Siegel advised him that due to Homoko's involvement in the crimes, full immunity was not a possibility. Thank God. On February 17th, Metro Sexual Assault Squad and Green Ribbon Task Force detectives arrested Bernardo on several charges and obtained a search warrant. Because the link to the murders was weak and to that point only supported by Homoko's confession, the warrant was limited. Uh, no evidence which was not expected and documented in the warrant should be removed from the premises and all videotapes found by police had to be viewed in the house. Damage had been kept to a minimum. Police could not tear down walls looking for videotapes. The search of the house, including updated warrants, lasted 71 days and the only tape found by police had a brief segment of Homolka performing oral sex on a Jane Doe. Mm. Oof. They taped over that shit. They just didn't get that little piece. Oof. You think? Yep. I think they probably taped over them. They mm-hmm. just, that was an accident that was left. You think once all the police pressure comes down, he's as much as he, I'm sure he uh, covets these tapes and, and cherishes them mm-hmm. being the creep that he is. I'm sure he's like, I, these are the one thing that can really take me down are these yeah. fucking tapes. I've got to get rid of them. Yeah. Who knows where he put them? I mean, I don't think he destroyed them, but he hit them somewhere. You think where he, the police you think he destroyed them? I think he destroyed. I don't him. think I he think could he do it. It's like you know, serial killers shit. with their with their keepsakes, dude. That's what always ends up what's being their undoing. A lot of times is their own confidence. They yeah. get too successful, and then they hold on to shits keepsakes from from victims, and they can't let it go. Yeah, you're right. Like another Gacy creepy with thing, all those driver's license and shit. Another creepy thing we forgot to mention about the about Tammy's oh, death. One more Carla's sister. Remember where they um, at the funeral they bury like they put in her casket like. Some an invitation they, to their wedding, an invitation to their wedding, and a necklace that they were wearing during the assault. Yeah, and, and I think Paul like kissed her on the lips uh, in the casket. Guys, why did you want this case? Not this case is you, sick bastard. <laughs> <laughs> on May fifth, 
uh, Walker was informed that the government was offering Homolka a plea bargain of 12 years, which she had one week to accept. If she declined, the government would charge her with two counts of first-degree murder, one count of second-degree murder, and other crimes. Walker accepted the offer, and Homolka later agreed to it. On May 14th, Homolka's plea bargain was finalized, and she began giving statements to police investigators. She told police that Bernardo boasted that he had raped as many as 30 women, twice as many as which police suspected, calling him, quote, the happy rapist. Why would you, why would you call him that? There. I don't know. What's, what's the play here? I don't even know what angle he's trying to take. I don't know, man. It's not the best the best uh, name I've heard. It may be the worst. Yeah. In fact. On May 18th, 1993, Homolka was arraigned on two counts of manslaughter. Bernardo was charged with two counts each of kidnapping, unlawful confinement, aggravated sexual assault, and first-degree murder, as well as one of dismemberment. That's an actual law, huh? Is that an American law or just can't? I've never heard of a dismemberment law. Me either. It should be. Right? I guess. I mean, to me, we've really, talked about this. if you this. kill him, you kill him. Yeah, to me, we've talked about this. If you this. took it's, someone's life, that should be just as bad regardless of what you do. Yeah, right? what you do afterwards. It's yeah. more, when people do that, it's more of a means of trying not to get caught. Yeah. I don't know how that's a crime itself. I would say it's it's definitely more towards you planned it out if you do it, which would make you even... Premeditated. You know what I mean? It would be much easier to prove. Right. If we but find the body the law dismembered. law in itself for the actual act of dismembering is kind of strange to me. That is. Coincidentally, I think at that point you're already fucked anyway. Because if you've dismembered, you already murdered. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's why like, even tack it on? Why already? even it's tack like it on? going away. <laughs> maybe they're just... You, you just know, wanted it in the notes. Stacking their odds to add more years, maybe. Uh, I, don't know. I guess. It does sound really monstrous. Like... Yeah. Yeah, on your uh, public record. If you see dismemberment, yeah. oh my God. You know, I was bro. going along your resume and everything <laughs> seemed good. And then I ran into that dismemberment <laughs> thing. That kind of really, those I don't know if you're Walmart charges, material. They're just, they're a little tricky. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or if they're, if, if, if they're applying to be uh, you see, we, we, a butcher. We assign everyone their own box cutter. And it that might be, be a, a good thing on your resume though. If you're Ooh. applying to be a, like a, in the meat factory or something like that. If you're planning to be a butcher, a butcher, you're like, yeah. oh, we see you have dismemberment here. Right. Very good. That is a great pre- Very well. Yeah. How yeah. many pieces of what What kind of meat was it? <laughs> That's, I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, these are the laws that went on, um, when they threw on them. Coincidentally, that same day, Bernardo's first lawyer, Ken Murray, watched the rape videotapes for the first time. Murray decided to hold on to the tapes and use them to impeach Hamolka on the stand. Uh, during Bernardo's trial. So, yeah, they're like, okay, we've got some material to get Homolka now during trial. We can hit her with these tapes. Yeah. Neither Murray nor Caroline uh, McDonald, the other lawyer on the defense team, were very experienced in criminal law. Only over time did their ethical dilemma concerning tapes become apparent when they were actively withholding evidence from the police and prosecution. By October 1993, Murray and his law partners had studied over 4,000 documents from the prosecution. Murray said he was willing to hand over the tapes if they had let him cross-examine Homolka in the anticipated preliminary hearing. The hearing, unfortunately, was never held. That's 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 just thinking of being a defense attorney. I know they're important and all that stuff, and you want to believe the best in your client. But when you see these tapes and you see what kind of monster you're working for, you know, because really you're working for the criminal that you're representing or whatever. Yeah. God, that's got to make your job hard to really do it properly when you see these this Carla yeah, you like, see the videotapes of Carla help you know playing a part in these torture and rape say, of these girls let's say you get everyone off that you represent mm-hmm. what's the percentage of good good you've done now 
Like right. how, how many of those were really innocent people and without yeah. you, they would have went to prison for something they didn't do. How yeah. many? But it's an integral part of our law system. And it, no, for sure. Yeah. It has to happen. I just, if I get wrongly accused, I want fucking Saul Goodman on my side right, or right. somebody, you know what I mean? Right. Regarding the tapes, Murray said that it, they showed Homolka sexually assaulting four female victims, having sex with a female prostitute in Atlantic City, and at another point, drugging an unconscious victim. Doesn't look good. No. Uh, in February 1994, Homolka divorced Bernardo. Aw. The love affair ends, finally. Aww. During the summer of 1994, Murray finally became concerned about the serious ethical problems that had arisen in connection with the tapes and his continued representation of Bernardo. He consulted his own lawyer, Austin Cooper, who asked the, the Law Society of Upper Canada's Professional Conduct Committee for advice. Quote, the Law Society directed Murray in writing to steal the tapes in a package and turn them over to the judge presiding at Bernardo's trial. The Law Society further directed him to remove himself as Bernardo's counsel and to tell Bernardo what he had been instructed to do. Murray noted all of this in a statement released through Cooper in September of 1995. And so he was obviously conflicted as we had brought up how hard this must have been. Yeah. And the fact that he had he these tapes, to those tapes for he a had while. these tapes and he couldn't use them against Bernardo. Yeah. He held on to him for 15 months. Yeah. Even after, I think after he stopped representing him, he still held on to him for a while. He was conflicted, yeah. I guess, because of the, you know, I guess obviously he made a promise and was, he obviously wasn't legally under any obligation to keep the tapes anymore. Mm-hmm. So it must've just been, his own conscience. Yeah. But you, so, you think he watched you think he glanced at it and was like, I gotta turn this motherfucker in. Right. How do you not watch? How do you not see what's on the tapes? Right. As his defense attorney, he watched mm-hmm. those tapes, dude. On September twelfth, nineteen ninety four, Cooper attended Bernardo's trial and informed the judge, Bernardo's replacement lawyer, John John Rosen, and the prosecutors about what the law society had directed Murray to do. Rosen argued that the tapes should have been turned over to the defense first. Murray handed the tapes along with a detailed summary to Rosen, who kept the tapes for about two weeks and then decided to turn them over to the prosecution. The revelation that a key piece of evidence had been kept from the police for so long created uh, a furor, especially when the public realized that Hamolka had been Bernardo's willing accomplice. Yep. The tapes were not allowed to be shown to the spectators, only the audio portion was available to them. Moreover, Bernardo claimed that while he raped and tortured Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French, Hamolka actually killed them. After the videotapes had been found, rumors spread that Homolka was an active participant of the crimes. The public grew incensed, and the full extent of Homolka's role in the case was finally exposed, and the plea agreement now seemed not only unnecessary but unjust. However, as was, yeah, as was provided in the plea bargain, Homolka had already disclosed sufficient information to the police, and the prosecution found no grounds to break the agreement and reopen the case. So she like. She already played delivered. It just right. She, she played already paid up. Yeah, she played it just right, man. It's just good timing super unfortunate that she gets to then walk around in public very shortly after all this damn her good defense attorney huh right bernardo's trial and sentencing he was tried for the murders of french and mahaffey in 1995 and his trial included detailed testimony from from homolka and audio from the uh, videotapes so he's getting screwed over by these tapes as he should yeah not screwed over but i mean the the truth is getting out there there but they're only really being being exposed they're (laughs) only being used against him yeah. She got this plea bargain before really people got to see what a monster she was. Yeah. Bernardo testified that the deaths were accidental, later claiming that his wife was the actual killer. On September 1st, 1990, doesn't matter. 
You guys are both there. You both abducted these girls. That's you right. both tortured and and it, yep. it, it you had complete disregard. Well, for you their watched well-being. First Forty Eight, where both you see you. if you were just happened to be in the car and your buddy shot some dude driving down the road. On that show, they all go down for murder, man. They yep. were all there. There's no video showing who the shooter actually was. And nobody we, rats on anybody, so you all go down. Yep. On September 1st, 1995, Bernardo was convicted of several offenses, including two first-degree murders and two aggravated assaults. He was sentenced to life in prison for a minim- minimum of 25 years. He was designated a dang- dangerous offender, making him unlikely to ever be released. Um, although Bernardo was kept in a segregation unit at Kingston Penitentiary for his own safety, he was attacked and harassed. He was punched in the face by another inmate when he returned from a shower in 1996. Oh, big fucking deal. Oh, he was punched, punched in the face. <laughs> I hope, hope the guy hit like Mike Tyson. Surely he got worse than that. Right. In June 1999, five convicts tried to storm his segregation unit and a riot squad had to use gas to disperse them. On February, February 21st, 2006, he was... He admitted to sexually assaulting at least 10 other women in attacks not previously attributed to him. Most were in 1986, a year before the reign of terror and Scarborough rapist began. Authorities suspected Bernardo and other crimes, including a string of rapes in Amherst, New York, and the drowning of Terry Anderson in St. Catharines, but he has never acknowledged his involvement. His lawyer reportedly forwarded the information to the legal authorities in 2005. And in 2006, Bernardo gave a prison interview suggesting that he had reformed and he would make a good parole candidate. He began eligible to petition a jury to be allowed to apply for early parole in 2008 under the Faint Hope Clause since he committed multiple murders before the 1997 Criminal Code Amendment, but did not do so. So he didn't end up uh, getting the early appeal or early I don't think parole. he wanted it, dude. I think he was scared to come back out in society. Yeah, for retaliation from yeah. family members or society. Yeah, and there were plenty of family members that threatened him. They were like, mm-hmm. if you ever get out. Yeah, <laughs> I would be one of them. Yeah, it's I not going to be I would be one of be them better. if he raped and killed my daughter. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. I would actually have already paid someone to shank him in prison. Yeah, <laughs> we figured something out. Yeah, I thought about this already. <laughs> Listening to the book, I was like, uh, pay someone to shank his eyes. I want to blind <laughs> and pain, very painful. Yeah, shake his eyes. Yes, oh my God. Dude, please. <laughs> In 2015, the worst place I can think to get shanked. <laughs> In 2015, Bernardo became eligible um, and and applied for a day parole in Toronto, but is unlikely Bernardo would ever be released from prison because of his dangerous offender status. In September 2013, he was moved from Kingston Penitentiary to Millhaven Institution in Bath, Ontario, where he's reportedly segregated from other inmates. Bernardo scored 35 out of 40 on the psychopathy checklist, a psychological assessment tool used to assess the presence of psychopathy in individuals. So, yeah, he's 35 out of 40. Not bad. Top notch psychopath. He is definitely maybe, uh, yeah, top of the line psychopath right here. Yep. In November 2015, Bernardo self-published a Mad World Order, a violent fictional 631-page ebook on Amazon. Oh, cool! I didn't know he had a book that we can all go buy, huh? Yeah. No, I think it was. Fuck um, off. I think it's been removed. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck off. It's in the next thing. There's laws that prevent you from being able to make money on shit like this, right? As yeah. a prisoner. Yeah. He's a piece of shit. I can't imagine he would be a novel. great writer. I don't know. Like he was a smart dude. It may have yeah, been. Yeah, I know. He's a college graduate been, and uh, stuff. I'm sure. You know, grammatically, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Substance-wise, right. I don't know. By November 15, the book was reportedly an Amazon bestseller, but was quietly removed from the website due to public outcry. Yeah, 
I don't know if everyone should be supporting this guy. November in October 2018, Bernardo had been set to, to go to trial for possession of a shank weapon while incarcerated. Um, his shank was five centimeters long screw attached to a pen. <laughs> Doesn't sound that scary. I think it, it was just a def. It was he just needed something that fit the definition. Because this again, he didn't want to get released. He didn't right? want to get out of solitary, and yeah. he knew if he got caught with a weapon, he's yeah. going back to solitary. Yeah. However, the prosecution dropped the charges due to their de- uh, determination that there was no reasonable probability of conviction. Bernardo became eligible for parole on February 2018. On October 17, 2018, my birthday yet again, he was denied uh, day and full parole by the Parole Board of Canada. So it's just likely he's never getting out. This is like. Even though he's up for parole, they look at him and they're like, should we ever let this guy out in the public? Like he's he's a psychopath. Right. We've determined that through testing, and his crimes were extremely violent. Right. What's and he testing now? You know, Repeat sexual offenders, we just know one thing. They keep repeating sexual yeah. offenses because it's, it's just one of those he's things that you stop. don't really – yeah, you never really rehabilitate from sexual crimes. It just – It doesn't seem so, does it? It does not, no. Let's talk about prison for Carla. After her 1995 testimony against Bernardo, Homolka returned to Kingston's prison for women. Uh, She was then moved from Kingston in the summer of 1997 to Joliet Institution, a facility called Club Club Fed by its critics. In 1999, Toronto Star reporter Michelle Shepard came into possession of copies of her application to transfer to the Mason Therese Cassegrain, a halfway house. The story noted the halfway house's proximity to local schools. Uh, that didn't help. Homoka sued the government after her transfer to the halfway house and was denied. Before her imprisonment, Homolka had eval- been evaluated by numerous psychiatrists, psychologists, and other mental and health and court officials. Homolka reported to one of the psychologists, quote, remains something of a diagnostic mystery. Despite her ability to present herself very well, there's a moral faculty in her which is difficult, if not impossible, to explain. So she even I think had them. Vacuity. She had them. She even had psychologists and stuff stumped as to what her real issues so were. Basically, they're saying that she has a hole in her where her morality should be, but uh-huh. they don't understand it as far as her actions. Yeah. She needs someone to act that out, right? Yeah, like someone like Paul. Paul. Yes. That's also called not having a soul, I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, just kidding. It's hard. To, it's it's uh, difficult, if not impossible, to explain. That is, and how much of this stuff was um, changed after she was released too, as far as publications and things? Mm-hmm. It's easy to to just put. We don't really know. We couldn't find anything wrong with her. Yeah, but something seems amiss. It's easy to put that instead of. Actually, we let this person with all of these this this and this uh, yeah. mental issue out walk into free the in the public. world. Exactly, but it's easy. Yeah, like you said, right. uh, we can't put a finger on it. Yeah, she's okay. She's fine. Yeah, I'm sure she's fine. But she got us on a technicality. There's not much we can do. Yeah. <laughs> We'd love to keep her locked up, but we can't do it. Right. <laughs> have fun rules. with her. Have fun with her in the public. Right. Uh, at least she doesn't have poll to act out these things. That's poll. true. <laughs> poll. Poll. <laughs> Old poll. Old poll. <laughs> um, as Homolka moved through the Canadian prison system, there were in- incidents that shed light on, on uh, her condition. In Joliet, Homolka had a sexual affair with Linda Veranau. Verenu or whatever her name is, who was serving time for a series of armed robberies and who eventually reoffended so that she could be sent back to Joliet to be with Hamolka. So a beautiful love affair between these two ladies. 
while being evaluated in 2000, Hamolka told psychiatrist Rob, Robin Menzies that she did not consider the relationship to be homosexual as Vera now saw herself as a man and planned to undergo a sex operation in due course. Okay. Psychiatrist trans man. Lewis Morissette, meanwhile, noted in his report that Hamolka was ashamed of the relationship and hid it from her parents and the experts who examined her. Again, this demonstrated... I can't believe she's even talking to her parents. Right? <laughs> well, like, how, did how, parents... are your, how are your parents still in your life? After the, you told after them what that you, you have done to them. did to their daughter and your sister like, and everyone dude, else. They have to deal with the fact that their daughter is dead. One of their daughters is dead. Then they have to figure out, deal with the fact that their other daughter is a murderer. Yep. And she had a part in killing their other daughter. Like, mm-hmm. it's... Some parents, there's nothing their kid could ever do that could ever stop them from being in contact and loving them, I guess. But I think I'd draw a line at a certain point, even with my own child. Oh, you killed your sister and raped her and and then a bunch of other people too? Yeah. And you've never shown any remorse and you just point blame at the other person who was involved? They're broken, right? Yeah, man. I don't think I need to support you anymore as a parent. Well... I've officially failed and I give up. Well, here's the thing. (laughs) I mean, to successfully protect the rest of your family, you have to. Right. You have to. That sounds so harsh, man. I couldn't imagine having to deal with that. No. Let's hope we never do have to. Seriously. A former veterinarian clinic and uh, co-worker and friend of Carla, Wendy Lutzen, told the Toronto Sun that she now believes Hamolka's actions were those of a psychopath, not not of an abused, controlled woman which is what she'd made herself out to be after all this stuff came to light and they got caught. Yeah, well, she played she that part very well. In, yeah. in a letter of apology to her family, Hamolka continued to blame Bernardo for all of her misdeeds. Quote, he wanted me to get sleeping pills from work, threatened me and physically and emotionally abused me when I refused. I tried so hard to save her. Tim Danson, lawyer for the victim's families, has said that she never apologized to them. Hamolka took correspondence courses in psycho, uh, sociology through nearby Queens University, which initially caused a media storm. She eventually graduated with a bachelor's degree in psychology. I don't think she needed it. I think she already understood. <laughs> I think she understood psychology just well and how to play them. Perfect. Yeah, if anything, she should be teaching the class. I love sociology, dude. Yeah, it's interesting. It really is. Um, during Hamolka's release hearing, Morissette said then th- that the then 35-year-old did not represent a threat to society. Various hearings over the years have left to a mixture of opinions. If she posed any kind of danger, said a a forensic psychologist for correctional services in Canada, it lay in the ominous but not unlikely possibility of her linking up with another sexual sadist like Bernardo. But like I said earlier, I don't think her likelihood is, is the same probability as us. I think she can find them. She can like she, you know what I'm saying? Like she's a magnet to those type of people. So, like, I think mm-hmm. she is likely to come across another Paul because she's looking for them. I don't think uh, she maybe is looking consciously for them anymore. or unconsciously. Uh, well, maybe unconsciously. I don't know if that leaves you. But she got remarried. She's I remarried understand. with kids and stuff now. She's trying to volunteer at schools, and they, they're like, "No, you can't do that." <laughs> yeah, I think that that's a good call. School. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, quote: She's very attracted to this world of sexual psychopaths. It's not for nothing that she did uh, that she did what she did with Bernardo. He told the National Post after reviewing her file. Like I said, she's very attracted to this type of person, and I think she's likely to find another one eventually. I don't think she should be on public, right? I don't care that she got remarried. Maybe she knows that that is toxic, and she doesn't want that part well, of her life. Let's you, hope so for dude, Canada's sake. When you have children, things are different. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. 
or well for some well, some people have children and then they abuse and beat them themselves that was one thing she was saying when she was still with paul uh paul said that she was wanting to have a family of kids like a bunch of kids with paul so that they could do the same stuff to them oh my god yeah man i forgot about that where other inmates might apply for parole with, at the first opportunity, Homolka refrained from doing so, quote, because she wanted, she was deemed a risk to reoffend. She was denied statutory release for two-thirds of the way through her sentence. In 2004, the National Parole Board ruled that Carla Homolka must stay in prison for her full sentence, warning that she remained a risk to commit another violent crime. While the NFB noted that she had made some progress toward rehabilitation, it expressed concern that Homolka had begun corresponding with a convicted murderer whom she had met when they were both being held for different parts in a prison in Quebec. Thank you. She finds these fuckers, dude. Yeah. As a result, it was decided to keep her in prison. The Toronto Sun reported that Homolka had sex in prison with a, quote, a male inmate she now wants to marry. According to a former inmate a friend and friend of Homolka, Chantel Minure, Homolka and the inmate stripped at a flimsy fence, touched one another sexually, and exchanged underwear. <laughs> What a hot scene. <laughs> <laughs> Floppy fence and they're just dry yeah. humping through it. Yeah. And then they have a jersey swap at the end, but with underwear. <laughs> you take pictures. Right. They're holding it up. Jesus. <laughs> at the same time, Renier told the son, Homoka was still in a lesbian relationship with Linda Veronau, who had spent $3,000 on her at Victoria's Secret. Maybe she was just using her. Uh, that's a good possibility. Which is Carlos kind of pretty good at. Yeah. The, the parole board reprimanded Homolka, quote, you have secretly undertaken an emotional relationship with another inmate and evidence gathered seems to indicate that this relationship rapidly became sexual. On December 6, 2001, only seven days before Homolka dumped Verano, a friend asked Homolka why she continued her, relation, her lesbian relationship while being in love with a man. Homolka said, quote, I don't let go right now because I want my clothes and I want my computer. Pretty much explains it. She was using her. Mm -hmm. A rumor upon the release that upon release, Homolka intended to settle in Alberta caused an uproar in that province. Quote, the most educated speculation has Homolka staying in Quebec where language and cultural differences supposedly muted the media coverage of her case and where she'll be less recognizable. Another rumor suggests she will flee overseas, restarting in a country where her case is unknown or sneak into the United States using an illegal identity to cross the border and living out her life as under a pseudonym so there was a lot of speculation as to where she would go once she got released she moved all over the place yeah michael bryant ontario's attorney general fought to get homoka on the agenda in a meeting at canada's justice ministers quote he wants the federal government to expand the category of dangerous offenders to catch those slipping between the cracks bilingual and un and armed with a bachelor's degree in psychology from queen's university homolka may choose to try and live a quiet life in quebec where her crimes are not as well known as they are in english-speaking canada the french and mahaffey families went want even tighter restrictions on homolka including asking that she submit to electronic monitoring or yearly psychological and psychiatric assessment i think that's fair upon I release you i really do you're saying okay she's okay to be released but it's let's keep an eye on her for christ's yes. sake because with advancements in psych psychology and psychology and uh -huh. things like that, they have they may find something. They may be able to pinpoint this disorder that she has or whatever the issue is now that they couldn't. Yeah, you know, in the early two thousands. Yeah, a two day hearing was held before Judge Gina R. Blau in June two thousand five. He ruled that Hamoka, upon her release on July fourth two thousand five, would still pose a risk to the public at large. As a result, using Section eight ten. 
point two of the criminal code. Certain oh, yeah. restrictions were placed on Homoko as a condition of a release. Good. Yeah, she that, was, that article comes in handy. Yeah, she was to tell police her home address, work address with whom she lives. Uh, she was required to notify police as soon as any of the above uh, changed. She was likewise required to notify police of any change to her name. If she planned to be away from her home for more than 48 hours, she had to give 72 hours notice. She could not contact Paul Bernardo, the families of Leslie Mahaffey or Kristen French, or that of woman known as Jane Doe or any, or any violent criminals. So she was also forced to be kept away from those types that I said she's attracted to. Right. She was forbidden to be with people under the age of 16. She was forbidden to from consuming drugs other than prescription medicine. She was required to continue therapy and counseling. She was required to provide police with DNA samples. There's a, a lot of good yeah, or you could just keep Thanks. her ass in prison and get all this stuff. Yeah, you know, save but save a lot of time and she effort. Found that loophole, man. Well, I'm she glad she got that plea deal in just in time before the video yeah. surfaced. There was a penalty of a maximum two years uh, prison term for violating the order. While this reassured the public that Homolka would find it difficult to offend again, it was felt by the court that it might be detrimental to her to her as well because the public hostility and her high profile might endanger her upon her release. On June 10th, 2005, Senator Michael Buron declared that the conditions placed on Homolka were, quote, totalitarian. According to an interview with CTV Net Newsnet, two weeks later, Byron apologized for hmm. saying that. On July 4th, 2005, Homolka was released from prison. She granted her first interview to Radio Canada Television, speaking entirely in French. Well, Did how? she learn French while she was in I prison? I guess, apparently. Homolka told interviewer Joyce Napier... That she chose Radio Canada because she had found it to be less sensationalist. Wait a minute, dude. She's from Canada. Lots of Canadians French speak Canadian. French. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. We're dumb. <laughs> I, was, I just forgot this we're case dumb. took place in Canada. <laughs> yeah, we're dumb. We're dumb. Like, did she teach herself French? Uh, That's, so so the the <laughs> That's a little insight into how dumb we are, guys. <laughs> They're like, they were already screaming at us before, yeah. we, before it came to you. <laughs> so she told this interviewer that she uh, chose to to inter uh, be interviewed by them because it's less sensationalist than the English language media. She said that uh, she had likewise found Quebec to be more accepting than Ontario. She affirmed that she would be living in, within the provenance, but refused to say where she said she had paid her debt to society legally, but not emotionally or socially. She refused to speak about her alleged relationship with John Paul Gerber, a convicted murderer serving a life sentence during the interview. Carla's attorney sat beside her. However, she did not speak. Hamolka's mother was also present, but off screen Although she was acknowledged by Homolka, so her mother stuck by her still. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. Um, the national media reported in July 2005 that Homolka had relocated to the island of Montreal. On November 30th, 2005, Quebec Superior Court Judge James Brunton lifted all restrictions imposed on Homolka, saying that there was not enough evidence to justify them. So she's truly yep. free at that point. She was really, she was doing a lot as far as rehabilitation, though. Yeah, she was really looking the part from the outside. Okay. I, I kind of see it I, at this point. I see why they granted her this. Yeah. On December 6, two thousand five, the Quebec Court of Appeal upheld Brunton's decision, and on June two on June eighth, two thousand six, Amolka's request to have her name changed was rejected. She had attempted to change her name legally from Emily Charia Tremblay, Tremblay being one of the most common surnames in Quebec. That's um, smart. That would have been right. Smart, yeah, it's just another Tremblay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wasn't that the name that George picked for his, uh, he was going to be a, 
he wanted to tell people that he was an architect and he chose like Art Tremblay, I think was his <laughs> name, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I always That's find hilarious. a fucking Seinfeld reference, don't yeah, I? Right. It's in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, Sun Media reported in 2007 that Homoka had given birth to a baby boy. Quebec Children's Aid said that despite Homoka's past, the new mother would not automatically be scrutinized. Several nurses had refused to care for Homoka before she gave birth. And on December 14, 2007, City News reported that Homoka had left Canada for the Antilles so that her now one-year-old could lead a more normal life. News reports as of April 20, 2016, hey, 420, placed Homoka <laughs> as living with her children in Chata. So I'm going to ruin this one. Chataguay, Quebec. It. And so, yeah, she's off living her life. Family, yep. family family girl now hopefully not listening to podcast i don't care fuck you bitch yeah fair enough if she is i hope you heard that fuck you (laughs) (laughs) i hope you loved our show and then you heard our take on you and what a shitty person you are (laughs) and that i still think you should be locked up i don't care if you rehabilitated you know how she says she hasn't repaid her debt socially or she said she had what was she said she had uh paid it legally legally but not socially not socially and something I else. don't think you have legally. I don't think four years is enough for playing a part in abduction and rape of and murders of Well, I think women. she's trying to say that she... She's, Technically, she did because she found that loophole with the fucking... Right. She's plea, free. Plea deal before they had I all mean, the evidence. I mean, anybody in her situation would do that, though. It's not like yeah. if you have the opportunity to get away with it, you're not going to not take it. You it's, know what I feel like they screwed up is that they had... They already knew he was a Scarborough rapist based off of DNA. So they had him for 25 years minimum for all those, the series of rapes, That's what right? I'm saying. Why do they need so her? So why do they need her plea deal to lock him away? Yeah, they should Just, have taken They it. already had him for those rapes. If you don't connect him to the murders right away, why would you get let her off that easy and take that plea deal when you didn't, when you knew also there was tapes out there, you just had to get a hold of them. And of course they ended up getting a hold of them. Yep. You know, it's just, it blows my mind that once they had that DNA, why were they just putting him under surveillance? Why didn't they just you get know, him right away? DNA is conclusive evidence. It's as good as it gets. Yeah. It's better than eyewitness. It's better than anything else. You know who else she reminds me of? She reminds me of Bonnie, Bonnie and Clyde, but much more sadistic, way worse. obviously. Way worse. No, I'm talking about like the way that she probably appeared on the stand, the way she carried oh, herself yeah, yeah, during yeah. trials, how she could flip a switch yeah. and be, the innocent and be a princess yeah. again. Just like that. She'd been manipulating for a long yeah. time, so she knew how to do it. And then get sure. out of court and then go back with your dude. <laughs> or find with another, people like that. Find another murderer to yeah. get with. Yeah. That was that was Bonnie. Whew, good times. Man, that seems like forever ago we did that, huh? Right. Bonnie and Clyde. I almost have to go back and listen to it because I already forgot the whole Bonnie and Clyde story for the oh, most part. I remember some part was one was, was part fun. one was rough though. That was a fun one. That was a long one. Yeah. All right, we'll get some responses. Let's do it. Oh, my Gaia. Oh, my Gaia. Why is my beard awesome right now? Right. Why do my pits smell like amazing Egyptian oh, I trimmed musk? My, I tr- did you notice I trimmed my beard and I broke our pact already? Oh, I thought you were going to say pits. Couldn't do it, I dude. was going to say, no, I didn't. I don't shave my pits. They're hairy, bro. Yeah. Deal with it. Right. You, wait, you trimmed up already? <laughs> I know, man. You can cut your hair if you'd like. <laughs> I already broke our pact. <laughs> I've thought about it, man. I've really thought about it. I go, through, I go through days where i Dude, I'm beards like, get to that itchy stage, it. and I feel like I just look better clean shaven i look a little trashy with a i'm not one of those dudes that looks awesome with a beard my beard gets mangy yeah. real quick yeah it's all curly and it's just it's just not a good beard it's like a biker gang beard yeah dude i look yeah i look like white trashy when you I need to beard. like soak your shirt in motor oil to have your piss. beard long my own piss yeah, yeah. you should yeah 
You should just dip your beard in your my own My beard piss. looks like, when I grow it out, it looks like it would stink, even though it doesn't, because I use Oh My Gaia beard oil and I wash myself. Right. But so, it has that stinky look, and I don't like that. It's just the look. It's not, has, it doesn't have anything to do with Oh My Gaia. But if it, you're a stinky beard guy, get Oh My Gaia, use their beard oil. And it will help your stinky it beard. It will help the stink, and it also helps us keep it moisturized. It's the best prescription for stinky beard, up. honestly. It is. It really is. And for Stinky Pits, we've been told by several people who have finally tried it. They've been listening to our ads for Oh My Gaia. How many? And they go, you know what? I'm going to try this stuff. You guys keep raving about it. I'm going to see right. if it's as good as it is. And every time they come back, like, oh, my God, I did like three they're workouts like, and I still smelt great. <laughs> right. They're this like, oh, my God, you guys told us this was great for like 60 episodes. And then we tried it and it was. And you guys actually aren't liars like I thought you were. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, my Gaia. <laughs> or maybe this is the first episode of True Crime, guys, you've ever listened to, and you have no idea what we're talking about or why we're taking so long on so an So what is Oh, my Gaia, then, Michael? If oh, this my is Gaia. Them. Well, let me tell you, Lauren. It's an innovative all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh, my Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. Like I mentioned earlier, I am uh, technically, no, I am uh, wearing Egyptian musk today. But I have a lot of favorite scents. What's your favorite scent, Lauren? True Crime Pine with our logo on it. And that then is aside another from favorite. That, Lumberjack. Yes. Is phenomenal. There and are tons of scents. Vanilla. Fireside is amazing. She doesn't always have it right. in stock, Fireside, but man. So you're mentioning more of the masculine scents. We got it. We got it. Yes. We got it. Sweet be more pea. My here. wife wears vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood. Eat her pits when she puts sweet pea on. It smells ah. so good. Dreamsicle, too. Dreamsicle? Yes. Makes you dreamsicle. Want some candy? Honeysuckle, flower power. There's a ton of good ones. But. True Crime Pine, as Lauren mentioned, uh-huh. has our logo on the side. It's pretty cool. It's got our faces on there. Hell yeah. And for any order, you can use the code CREEPER, C-R-E-E-P-E-R, for 15% off your order. And you can get that at ohmygaia.com, O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com, Do it. or at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram. Do it. Do it. Do it. You'll be glad you did. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank uh, Killer Pens for these awesome t-shirts we're wearing right That's now. That's right. We'll Killer little... Pens, we're going to put a picture of us up on Instagram with yep. the shirt designs. It's pretty dope because he modified his design to kind of fit our podcast in a way. So yeah, go, check that, go check that out. We'll have that up probably by – it's probably already up by the time this episode. Yeah, but. so you can find Killer Pens on Instagram. It's at Killer Pens. Uh, he's got all kinds of cool products and stuff on there. So yeah, yeah P-E-N-S, pens, like pens you write with. Yep. Mr. D- Mr. David Truitt. And we have something to give away. We have some stuff to give away for Patreon members, right? We do. We have the actual giveaway, but then also Electric Grave Studios, our boy over there, sent, mm-hmm. is sending us some uh, clown, some John Wayne Gacy creepy clown pins. If you guys like pins. Oh, yes. We've gonna, we're going to have three of them to give away right now. So three random Patreon members are going to get a pin, and then a uh, fourth Patreon member is going to get to pick anything from our store. Because we're doing our monthly giveaway. If you're a Patreon member, patreon.com slash guys gets you two bucks a month, gets you into the drawing every month. It also yep. gets you 20 plus premium episodes, bonus yeah, content. We've been saying 20 forever. It's, it's probably like closer to 30 now. Yeah, who knows? And it gets you, most importantly, another podcast altogether, Michael, Michael's own Higher Thoughts podcast, oh, yeah. where it's just him chilling yeah. in a certain state of mind, just rambling and answering questions from listeners. And it's an awesome show, man. It, you're right. Lauren's on there. Hopefully, I it's can like get a chilled out more. version of Bill Burr's podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> it's just Michael rambling. I, I don't get frustrated at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I do occasionally. I might scream away from the mic though. That's just right. fun. So yeah, if you can't get enough Michael, man, that's where you guys got to go. Sign up. Patreon, two dollars a month gets you all that stuff, and it gets you into this drawing that we're about to do right now. You got all of our Patreon members pulled up so that we can do a random. We need a na- random number generator. So yes, we, can, we do. 
Here we go. Okay, so fast forward a little bit. Um, since we're we have four winners yeah. this week, we decided to go ahead and do all that off the show because our hands will probably be tired of doing hand of drum rolls. So we've got our four winners. We right. did random number generator between one and what was the how many active patrons we have right now? Six something. It's six hundred and fifty, I think. It can't be because number the first winner was six eighty seven, so it has to be higher than that. Oh well, it's more than that. It's like seven hundred and something, I think, active. Right. Well, thank you all for being patron members. Absolutely. And. So, number 687, the big winner of our monthly giveaway for Patreon, meaning this person gets to go to our any of our stores, our merch stores, and buy right. anything they want, and just let us know what you want, basically, and we'll yeah. send it to you. You don't buy it first. You just let us know, and we'll buy it and send it to you. We will buy it you for you. You don't pay anything. Nothing. Zilch. Do nothing, except tell us what you want. Exactly. January Marie was number 687. Congratulations, hey. January Marie. You can now go to any of our stores and then just send us a screenshot of what you want. Tell us what color, what size, whatever, and then yep. uh, yeah, and also let if, us know your address if you if it's not already right. If you're available. less than a five dollar patron, then we do not have access to your address. So just send us an address to you can send it to truecrimeguys at gmail.com. Probably yep. the easiest thing or to do. Or DM us on anything if you want. Yeah, or on social media, True yeah. Crime Guys, whatever. All right, so now we got three pins to give away from Electric Grave Studios. We want to thank Electric Grave Studios. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Uh, you can Ryan. find them on Instagram, or you can find them at electricgravestudios.com. These are pretty badass uh, John Wayne Gacy pins. If you're into pins, mm-hmm. they're, your, they're your shit, man. They do dreadful pins and collectibles. They have all kinds of, like, horror movie stuff and also, like, serial killer stuff. And, right. But this pin, it, like, glows in the dark. It's really pretty cool. It's very nice craftsmanship. Yeah, we're getting a couple for the studio, and then also three people from Patreon are getting them. The first number that came up for this giveaway was number 21, Diane Hutchings. Oh, congratulations, Diane. Congratulations. Hit us up. We will send you this pin as soon as we get them, which we should be getting them this week, I believe. Right. And then we'll send them out to you. So send us your address and uh, yeah, we'll get that pin out to you. And then number 47, Natasha Hatcher. Natasha Hatcher. Congratulations, you're getting a pin. Natasha. Hit us up with your address. And number 122, Rakol Kachit. Congratulations. You're nice. getting a pin as well. Hit us up with your address. Absolutely. Guys, as always, thanks for being patrons. Yeah. Thanks for listening. And if you're not a patron, then thanks for listening to this, right? Go leave a review. Do your part. Yeah, we right? won't. We when won't, you listen to every episode, don't leave crap, a review. We won't crap on you this time for being a freeloader. People take no. that so personally. So personally. Quit being cheap. It's very, <laughs> it's very, <laughs> it's very convicting. I'm just messing. I'm just messing. <laughs> All right, y'all. Is that it? We got a Patreon episode next week? Yes, we do. All right. And then uh, another freebie after that. All right. And then we take a week off. All, all right, right, all right, all right. 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 <laughs> These high school girls. <laughs> oh. I get older, they stay the same age. It's not even funny. Not with this episode. Not to this case, sure. right? All right, y'all. We'll just shut up before we get to yeah. it. Keep creeping. Keep creeping. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was True Crime Garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. True crime guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming. Yeah.